Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you for week two of Canada vs. Australia, but I don't want to call it that. Well, stiff shit, I'm hosting this week, so I'm calling it that. It's our third time we've done Australia v. Canada, Canada v. Australia, I think it is. And we are into a movie that (laughs) is a movie, um, the Canadian movie. Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy from 1996, the year Muhammad Ali lit the Olympic cauldron, the year a man went around Port Arthur and killed a bunch of people in Australia. That's probably not really comparable. That's not a good one to bring up. And the year (laughs) that Canada made a movie about candy and brains and people, men dressed as women who are gay, (laughs) I think. I'm not sure. Uh, This is an interesting one. And I'm very much looking forward to talking about it. My name is Ben, and you are gay. You are gay. You are homosexual. The opposite of straight. You're gay. I know it. Your family knows it. Dog knows it. Everyone seems to know it except for you. Yes. My name is Colin, and I'm gay. I used to be straight, but now I'm gay. I think the drug made me that way. I'm gay. I was going to sing that, but I couldn't remember the tune. Um, The other one I was going to go for is that I was... I was upstairs masturbating to gay porn, but that's just normal. That's why Ben was running late today. That's not actually a quote. That's just what happens on a Sunday. Um, I have absolutely, uh, well, I had absolutely no expectations going into this. I've heard you talk about the kids in the hall before. I got it confused with that corner gas show that I watched a couple of times once in Canada, but obviously wasn't. Uh, I know who Dave Foley is. I know who Brendan Fraser is. I think I know who one of the other guys is. I think one of these other guys might be in A Night at the Roxbury if I'm getting the right person. Lorne Michaels, I know who he is. Um, But other than that, I had absolutely no clue. I didn't watch a trailer. I didn't even read what this was about. I've never seen a sketch of this show. Uh, I didn't have a clue what this movie was. And I'll say (laughs) it. It was somewhat enjoyable. Like, it wasn't... Like, I read the reviews of it and people saying this was, like, not funny and stupid and all that kind of stuff. Like... I wouldn't say that. It's funny. It's it's quirky. It's odd. It's kind of up there with like I think you might have compared it to a bit like a Monty Python or something like that. Mm. Like it's 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 funny and it's weird and it's strange. But like I I kind of liked it. I I, I I didn't get bored of it at all. I was enjoying it the whole time. I sort of started watching it by doing a few little errands, but then all of a sudden I'm like, no, I'm going to watch this. Like this is entertaining, and yeah, it's. Silly and funny and yeah, <laughs> I didn't dislike it. I don't know if you thought I was going to dislike this or not. And I I was on the fence because I feel like this a lot of the humor is pretty much right up your alley. I think the uh, 
The drawback to this is you saying you have no exposure to the kids in the hall. I mean, the kids in the hall are... Well, I do. Sorry, I've exposed myself to kids in the hall before, but that's another conversation. Many times, yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) Legal legal cases pending. I can't discuss it anymore. Legally, he also has to say that in order to appear before public. So uh, there you go, public. You know, know the truth and uh, you can keep your distance from him. But uh, I mean, the kids in the hall TV show was like massive success, not just in Canada, but even in America. Uh, it wasn't quite as big in America just because there it aired on HBO, whereas in Canada, it was like network TV. Uh, and basically, as soon as the TV show ended, they started work on this movie. Now, the, the, the more interesting thing is all the behind the scenes drama of this movie, uh, which it, I thought for years mostly was rumors and, you know, fabricated rumors. Uh, but last year, when the Kids in the Hall came back, they had their new show. Now it's on Amazon. Uh, there's a documentary, a two part documentary called uh, Comedy Punks that was on there where they basically not only back up a lot of the drama about Brain Candy, the movie, but it was way more dramatic, <laughs> way more, uh, uh, I guess, contentious between them than anybody originally thought. So, I mean, the, the, the story behind making this movie is fascinating enough, but this movie sort of always had that reputation where this is not the kids in the hall at their best and there's a reason why. Um, but at the same time, as much as critics hate this for the most part, this has such a huge cult following. It's one of these movies that just year after year, people talk more and more about it. It's incredible going through the comments on YouTube, how much people are obsessed with this movie. And yet you probably will never find a single person who enjoys this movie that says it is even near the best thing the kids in the hall have done. But this, this should get you to watch some other kids in the hall sketches. I I did send you one. Yeah. It was um, the, the, it's the opening sketch of the new Amazon series, which is basically a play on this. And I guess semi sequel to brain candy. Um, just quickly, I, I was correct. Uh, Mark McKinney is the yeah. um, he's the priest in A Night at the Roxbury. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's like, this is a whole new fee when like they, you know, and he's like laughing at uh, when, when freaking Will Ferrell and um, Molly Shannon's characters are getting married. In Man, a yeah, the the wedding scene. Yeah, so like the whole time I'm watching this, going like, is that the priest from A Night at the Roxbury? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, it is too. But um, yeah, like it, it. I sort of did a bit of reading of it afterwards, and I sort of read some of those bits and pieces of it, and I wouldn't mind watching some of this. Like, I mean, it's as I said, like I watched maybe what a oh, ten episodes of Corner Gas, or I don't know. There was that freaking marathon on them that little trip you There's take after your wedding. I don't always know what that's a marathon. Yeah. So we, we watched a bunch of that and I kind of found it funny. And like, from what I've seen clips of Shit's Creek, it looks funny. I'd like to watch it. Um, and Canadian humor from what I've seen is funny. Like, you know, I think kind of good cop, bond cop, bad cop, whatever it was, was pretty funny. I mean, the Canadian comedy we've done has been good. Uh, so yeah, this kind of does maybe tickle my fancy to watch this a little bit more. I think it definitely like, it was much more Monty Python than Saturday Night Live. Although I can yeah. see Saturday Night Live parallels just in the fact that generally the Saturday Night Live movies they make sort of go a certain direction. I used to watch Monty Python as a kid. That used to be on sometimes. And I was never a religious Monty Python watcher, but I remember my parents had a, a record of it and it was just like all skits, like the parrot skit and the um, spam and all that kind of stuff that used to be all the time. The, lumber the Lumberjack song. Lumberjack, here's a Lumberjack, he's okay. Um, and then obviously I love Faulty Tower. So I do like that type of humour. I think Australian humour for the most part is similar. I think that, I know we did Boytown, um, but like, yeah, I, I think this is maybe a bit more quirkier than Boytown. Boytown's a little bit more obvious, but I could definitely point you in the direction of some Australian sketch shows, like if you've obviously heard of Kath and Kim, 
Um, I'd seen the one we talked about. Was it, is it Fast Forward or yeah, yeah, Rewind? Yeah, 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 Fast yeah, Forward. I remember Eric, that was on here. Eric Banner started on one of these shows and mm-hmm. he had an Eric Banner. Like Eric Banner was always a renowned comedian. Of course, he was in the cast when we did that. But no, I'd, I'd, I'd watch this, I think. It looks funny and good and it's laughable. And I like Dave <laughs> Foley. So I, I'll go through a bit of the, the backstory here because this, um, this is a movie that my history with it is pretty brief. I mean, I, I was familiar with the kids in the hall and seen some of it, but uh, the kids in the hall, considering it was on network television, like CBC, the Canadian network, you would expect it to be a lot more censored. But strangely enough, I've found through like watching this documentary that HBO, which is the network that can show full frontal nudity, censored them a lot more than the CBC did. There's, there's a famous, they actually parodied some of the, the censoring they had over the years in the final episode of kids in the hall where uh, Kevin McDonald and Dave Foley are basically there introducing. These are some of the sketches they're banned. And one of them was called Hitler blanks a donkey. Hmm. And it is literally like a farmer and his son, like, daddy, what is that? Who is that man? He goes, that's a very bad man named Adolf Hitler. And it's like, what is he doing that donkey? And then you cut to a shot of Mark McKinney, literally humping a donkey from behind. And apparently the, the, the feedback they got was <laughs> the, the sketch was written to be him humping a dead donkey. And they said, if you're going to do this, it has to be a live donkey. And it's like, really? That's the less offensive version? But I mean, like, Kids in the Hall was definitely very edgy with a lot of stuff they did. Um, but the movie, uh, when it came out, I mean, they they modeled themselves after Monty Python. Uh, they When they ended their TV show, they said, we want to end it after only about five years. Then we want to take a bit of a break, and then we'll do a movie every couple of years. Like, they basically modeled their entire career off of my, Monty Python, which is the reason Brain Candy existed. Um, but uh, the movie was R-rated. Now, I was familiar with watching Kids in the Hall on network TV, which was still pretty edgy, but not R-rated. And I was too young to see this in theaters, which I think is one of the things that hurt the box office even here in Canada. But I saw the movie once, didn't mind it, didn't see it again until I think last year when I was thinking about putting this on for the upcoming, like this this year's Australia-Canada month. And I'm like, oh, this movie's actually not pretty bad. But wow, the things that they get away with it, particularly the one, which we'll, we'll talk about when the scene comes up. Cancer Boy, which the rumors aren't addressed in the documentary, partly, I guess, because Paramount has a deal with uh, Amazon Prime. So they're not going to say this is what Paramount did to hold up the movie. But uh, yeah, that 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 was definitely I I can see the controversy if when you look at the box office and the, the very limited release it's got, despite the fact that Paramount said we're going to back this movie for 20, 25 million dollars. And then they give it no promotion and give it no release. There may be something to that story. There's obviously, I think, in doesn't matter what period of comedy you were in. I mean, this is what '96 uh, story. I'll mention in a second was sort of what mid 2000s. Don't joke about cancer children. Um, <laughs> what was what was that thing we talked about? Cancer kids before. Remember, like cancer. Did we? Well, that was a joke thing. We made our best of. See, we don't even remember our humor <laughs> on this show. But um, I've talked about before on on here the Australian comedy show called The Chasers War and Everything. They very they were just kind of like a bunch of comedians who you know would parody the news and often go out and do sort of like pranks in public. And they got worldwide headlines because when we had the G eight summit or APEC or whatever it was in like two thousand seven two thousand and eight, they tried to break through security to get like nice and close to George Bush at the time. So they made a fake motorcade of the Canadian like prime minister who, I don't know, would have been Stephen Harper back in 2007 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, basically every Australian like federal police thought it was real. And even this comedy group was like, "Uh, we've gone too far here. We need to turn around. And they're all (laughs) like, no, no, you need to keep going. And so they're basically like, okay, we need to get out of this car. And they had like literally a comedian dressed as Osama bin Laden. They were within like a block 
of George W. Bush's hotel with snipers on the roof and everything. And like this made national headlines because it was just, oh, they're taking the joke too far. Anyway, the point is the one that legitimately went too far that they got into a fair bit of trouble for because half the people in Australia loved it. Half the people thought this was silly. The one that everyone hated them for, they did a sketch on like cancer children. They were basically like, oh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation here you go, here you go, Johnny, get a stick because you're going to die anyway. Why are we going to send you to Disneyland? <laughs> like, <and it> was, <laughs> Everybody got a bit angry at that. But anyway, um, I, I don't know if this ever aired in Australia. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I'm sure it probably did maybe on our pay TV, Foxtel, uh, which, of course, is where Saturday Night Live airs. Um, I mean, we, we've got obviously a fairly long history when it comes to sketch comedy in this country. But, uh, and apparently there's actually a sketch comedy show on that's just started on Channel 7 at the moment. I saw that an ad for it, because I don't really watch Fred Air TV, but I saw like an ad of like this woman who was on a show many years ago, it was quite funny, uh, parroting my friend Joanna Griggs, uh, doing a Better Homes and Gardens parody, so I feel like I need to watch this show. But um, it's, was, it was, is, was Canada, or is Canada, a country that outside of this does sketch comedy? Like Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say the majority of the successful Canadian shows that last are sketch comedy shows. There's one that's been on the air since I Degrassi. think Degrassi, <laughs> very sketch based. Yes, uh, but there's one called This Hour Has 22 Minutes, which has been on the air for probably over 30 years now, um, at least close to 30 years. And imagine Weekend Update, like Saturday Night Live's Weekend Update, but it, every single week they're doing an entire half hour newscast. I think and you're everything. telling me about that. Yeah. Yeah, like that one's big. Uh, the Rick Mercer show, Rick Mercer. Um, I'm pretty sure he was in the Men with Brooms movie. And I mentioned like he he's a huge star. He's had his show. Like, I, I, CBC in particular is very big on sketch comedy. Uh, and I, I don't know whether Kids in the Hall was like the first one. I think it was it was definitely the most popular among young people. I think that's kind of the reputation of Kids in the Hall is whereas most sketch comedy, like even This Hour is 22 Minutes, which is a funny show, it's sort of geared towards your parents, you know? And the kids in the hall was geared towards teenagers or, you know, college kids, basically. And that was its audience. So it definitely stood out a little bit more and probably wasn't as much in the mainstream, even though it was something that everybody talked about and a lot of people watched. Uh, it, it, it Most Canadian humor is probably not quite as over the top and not quite as offensive as the kids in the hall tended to be. But the funny thing about kids in the hall is that it's not all of it. This isn't all shock humor. You know, it's very much like this movie. Uh, this movie definitely takes it a step further. It goes R-rated. Like the Amazon series has full frontal nudity of oh. all the kids in the hall, and one of the oh. I think the opening episode. <laughs> that's what everybody wants to see. But yeah, yeah, something's still censored on CBC. But uh, it, it, there's a very long history of sketch comedy in Canada. I just say, I mean, the R, I mean, obviously R-rating in Canada is not R-rating in Australia. Some people probably get confused whenever you we hear North Americans talk about R-rating. In in Australia, R-rating is 18 plus. There are oh, that, that's what it is in Canada. Well, that's at the time what it was in Canada. Because uh, to me, I get the comparison now. R is what NC-17 more so, isn't mm -hmm. it? Like particularly in the States because, um, well, R is, sorry, R is our MA, which is 15 plus, And then NC-17 mm -hmm. is 17 plus, which is our version of R. Like what do you yeah. have? A, is yours the same as America? Now, now we're in line like with what America does where R is if you're under 18, you just have to be accompanied by an adult. But growing up, like when this movie came out, this getting an R rating meant if you're under the age of 18, you don't get in no matter what. Yeah. Um, we had that. what was what you're calling the MA, which was PA here, which is mm. 15 and under needs to be a company or under 15 needs to be a company by it all. But yeah, that, this did get an R rating, which was the reason I didn't get to see it until it came out on video. It's actually, I don't, 
I'm not familiar with many films now in Australia that get released with a purely R because R would be the same here that it, like 18 and over. You can't even with an adult 18. So our MA is 15 over. You have to be with an adult M just pure M is 15 recommended. So you can, you know, anyone can go and see that PG is 15. No, what's PG here? Parental guidance recommended. I don't think there's an age restricted to it. And then G is just general everyone. And then C children uh, and X Colin, look that one up. Um, but like, I don't like, honestly, and I've lived in the country. I've been obsessed with it for a long time, but Canadian humor is not really something that you hear a lot of. Like it's sort of, you know, we, we live in a part in the world where most people in Australia associate anything with a slightly American accent as being American. So I'm sure if mm. most Australians watch this, because it's, it's not like it's clearly set in Toronto. You're watching hockey. There's, you know, Alanis Morissette and Celine Dion in the 90s. Like it's unless you know this is Canadian, I would assume most people yeah. watching this would think this is American because that's just generally what people would associate that with. And same with, I know a lot of people with Shit's Creek don't realise Shit's Creek's Canadian. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of just got that level of it because I guess, I mean, you associate Canadians as being very polite in a certain way, but it's sort of, yeah, a comedy scene that I don't really know much about. So I remember well, that was a show and I believe it's Canadian and it used to freak me out as a kid. So I, you can't do that in television? Is that what it yeah, was called? Was that's that Canadian, Was yeah. that sketch comedy technically or like... Yeah, it, geared for kids, but yeah, that was a sketch show. It scared me out. Like the, the opening of it was really freaky. And then I always forget, I never forget that one. It was like a kid was having a bath and a monster came out from like the the plug and like took him down the part plug. And that forever after that, <laughs> I had a bath. I got like fucking freaked out. There was a monster coming out of the thing. Like that show was scary. My parents actually yeah. banned me from watching it. <laughs> The uh, the one I can't believe I forgot to mention, it, it did kind of come before my time, but the most famous, I think even prior to Kids in the Hall, was SCTV, which was like the competitor to Saturday Night Live in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, that was, you know, I, I guess, similar to Kids in the Hall, but like so many people that started on the show, Martin Short and John Candy, uh, Catherine O'Hara, that was like Canada's first big thing that kind of broke out in America. Um, and I, I think the Kids in the Hall TV series was definitely more distinctly Canadian. Like you knew it was taking place in Canada and everything. And that was one of the things I found interesting in this movie is that they're mentioning things which I think was probably a paramount suggestion. We're marketing this in America, so we want you to not make it too Canadian. Because uh, mm. uh, I, I don't know whether it was, I think it was like, they, they mentioned like miles or something like that. And I'm like, well, that's not a thing we talk about here in Canada. And then obviously like, uh, yeah, Fahrenheit. I think that's what it was. Yeah, Fahrenheit, which we don't have Fahrenheit in Canada anymore. And then um, obviously things like the, the music awards and stuff like that. I think this movie is supposed to be set in America. Well, it's, I was going to say that about the city because I, I don't know if you know this is filmed because I was assuming Toronto, although it kind of looks a bit Montreal-esque, but then again, it's also quite fake because like some of these buildings like are just kind of placed there. So I, I don't know if this was like obviously done in a yeah. a city because, you know, I, I mean, it might have even been filmed in Vancouver because you know a lot of movies are filmed there. So I, I have no clue. Um, but anyway, anything else you want? I mean, Dave Foley, he, he can I just say Dave Foley has recently had a somewhat semi-recurring role in Young Sheldon. Uh, oh, so, really? Yes. <laughs> just thought you'd want to know that. Um, <laughs> I think you may, when I say somewhat semi-recurring, I think he was in about four or five episodes, but I don't know if he's <laughs> in it anymore, but, uh, get you to watch Young Sheldon, Colin, Dave Foley, Maybe. Canada's, who doesn't love Dave Foley, Canada's national um, hero. <laughs> 
Yeah, this did film in Toronto, so you're right. Um, yeah, I guess just a couple of things to touch on with the the background about making of this movie, and then I guess the build up to it coming out. Uh, when the TV show ended, um, and the, if anybody has a chance, check it out. Comedy Punks. It's a two part documentary on Amazon, uh, which covers the entire history of the Kids in the Hall. The Kids in the Hall started. The important thing is to know is the Kids in the Hall started with Kevin McDonald, who's the guy who plays Doctor Cooper, basically the main character in this, and Dave Foley. It was them. They were basically best friends. They were a comedy duo. And then the other guys kind of slowly joined over time. Uh, but by the fifth season of the TV show, they were all kind of burnt out. And they were all looking to what we're going to do when the show is over. They knew they would have plans like Monty Python. Every couple of years, we'll do a movie or something like that. We'll go on tour. But we want to have our own individual careers. Uh, Bruce McCullough, who in this one plays, I guess, the female lead scientist, the blonde female scientist. Uh, he was trying to get into directing. And he, it... it there started to be a lot of uh, friction during the final season because Bruce McCullough was pushing to do a lot of the the directing of the film clips, not the stuff that was done in front of an audience, but the, the stuff that was filmed. And it was going like extremely over budget. And it was basically just for him to pad his directing resume for later on. He would go on to direct a lot of things. He directed Superstar, one of the Saturday Night Live movies, um, another movie with Tom Green stealing Harvard, I think. Uh, and he became a writer on Saturday Night Live. So, I mean, he was looking to be a filmmaker um, and Dave Foley was looking for what he was going to do after Kids in the Hall, maybe to actually continue to acting and stuff like that. And what happened is when they went on break uh, after the show ended, and they came back to start writing the movie. Um, they had never really written together before. Every single Kids in the Hall sketch throughout the history of the show, it was always whoever took the lead on that sketch would write it with one of their staff writers but they never written before. So they're they're trying to write this movie and just none of them can agree on things. None of them can get along. Dave Foley basically says, we're going to take a break. He he walks off. He's like, you know, I have a chance to do this pilot for news radio, which would go on to become a, a big show. And the other kids in the hall had basically said, well, that's going to disrupt one show. There's like one live show that they were doing in New York. They had two dates in New York back to back. And Dave Foley said, I'm going to have to miss this date. If we cancel the show, I will refund every audience member out of my own pocket. Hmm. But uh, the other kids in the hall were very against that and basically tried to stop him from doing news radio. Now, they've all admitted since then, like they, they were butting heads and they were going through massive personal problems. Like Scott Thompson, who is the gay one of the group and plays the gay one in this movie. Uh, his brother had just committed suicide. Kevin McDonald, like the, the lead Dr. Cooper. His wife had left him in the middle of production. So they were all just in terrible. They were basically depressed, making a movie about depression. And of all people, it was Kevin McDonald, who was Dave Foley's best friend in real life, who was the most adamant that Dave Foley couldn't do this. So Dave Foley basically quit. But the 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 contractual part was that in order to get this movie made, even though they barely worked on a script yet, they had to sign a contract to do this movie with Paramount. And Dave, Fo the management for the Kids of Hall told Dave Foley, listen, if you sign this contract, you'll get paid, even though you're not going to be writing this movie, even though you said you're kind of stepping away. If you don't sign the contract to do the movie, you'll never get paid. So you're going to get paid one, you know, whether you write anything or not, as long as you sign the contract. But because he signed that contract, the other kids of the hall said, you're contractually obligated now to do this movie. None of them thought the movie, when they did the script, would ever get made. It was kind of a fluke where Paramount said, sure, we like this. Let's make the movie. And now all of a sudden, Dave Foley's like, what? Like, I'm doing news radio. So they actually hired, the other kids of the hall hired lawyers and sued Dave Foley, which is, he's contractually obligated to appear in this movie, which is why he's the only one not on the writing credits and the one who appears far less than the rest in the movie. But so they Nat were, they Natalie were very Portman in Thor in the Dark World, basically. 
Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm here by contractual uh, Noah Groves on double seven here by contractual obligation. But uh, yeah, th- there's behind the scenes footage and it's very tense to watch as you see them shooting a scene and Dave Foley just standing there as everybody ignores them. It's fascinating to hear. I mean, I read a little bit about that with Dave Foley, but it's you can't tell at all in this mm-hmm. film. And I mean, again, from somebody who has no history with this show, knows nothing really outside of what I've already mentioned. The chemistry between them is funny. They all look like they're having yeah. fun. It, it works well. It doesn't look like a movie where these people hate each other. Uh, that's a secret for great chemistry. We talked a lot about that on a Majesty's Secret Service, of course. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when the leads kind of hate each other. It wasn't, I mean, pfft, the notebook, come on. But yeah. they supposedly <laughs> hate each other on that. Um, but... Yeah, no, that's 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 really interesting. There you go, and they, they just they never made another movie after this. This is the only movie they ever made. Well, no, what they did is, um, I mean, after Brain Candy, none of them were talking to each other, and a couple of years later, Kevin McDonald and Dave Foley kind of made up, and then they started hanging out with Scott Thompson, and then they said, well, why don't we try? Go- what what what? The big thing was is that the show, after being on HBO originally, it was sold to Comedy Central. And this is the late 90s when Comedy Central had South Park and everything. And they kind of found out that it was the second highest rated show on all of Comedy Central. And this they had Saturday Night Live, which was number one. And then this, which was number two. And they're like, we're beating South Park? Like, how is this possible? So then they started going on tour again. They did do um, a, a TV series called Death Comes to Town, which I would say is kind of the sequel. Because it's done like this, it is one story. It's like eight episodes, but like you know, 20 minutes long. So if you kind of add that up, that is the second movie. It's it's a single story with everybody playing characters. Uh, that would be the successor to Brain Candy. And then just the new series, which is kind of just them back to TV. And obviously I realize there's what, five guys basically playing all the same characters. And it like, yeah, I think I caught on to that quite quickly when the fact is like, does are there any females in this movie or are they all just men <laughs> dressed as women in this movie? Yeah, there's I think one who has, well, there's the two groupies and then there's the one what uh board member yeah. um the, the female board member that's pretty much it and jenny garoppolo's in this movie somewhere too isn't she is. she is I'll, I'll point out where she is because i guess her scenes were cut she was one of the cameos but uh that they kind of became known for the cross-dressing i guess similar to monty python right like the cross-dressing thing which it's funny because they said when they they spent years just doing live shows before they ever got the tv show and them dressing as women started with just the fact that we didn't have any women there we had to do the parts ourselves so when the show started, they're like, well, we're already doing this. Let's just continue to do it. Now that's kind of one of the things they're known for. 24's Jeannie Garofalo, uh, who <laughs> is not a great character when we get to season seven. Um, just also quickly, Lorne Michaels. I mean, was he always attached to this show or was it just a coup to get him involved for the movie? I think um, I, I'd have to go back and rewatch the full documentary about how his involvement came on. I mean, they were fairly famous here in Canada and, and had started to do some comedy tours in America in the late 80s. And I think Lauren Michaels just sort of found out about them and said, well, let me try to produce this show. Uh, so, I mean, it really, their success has a lot to do with Lauren. He didn't, he never really had creative input as far as Kids in the Hall. He he lent his name and he kind of did the business dealings. Uh, so this show, if it had just been a Canadian show on CBC, would it have been as big as if they Lauren Michaels had simultaneously, which is something that never happened, simultaneously said, we've got a, a show that CBC has signed on to do we're going to sell the American rights to HBO. And then that's kind of where they became famous. Uh, so yeah, Lauren Michaels is definitely like the business guy, but one character in this movie, Mark McKinney's main character, the villain, the, the, the CEO of Roar or whatever the company, 
is Mark McKinney doing an impression of Lauren Michaels? So <laughs> he obviously ha- has enough of a relationship with them where they could impersonate him in a movie as the villain and he doesn't mind. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I just got Dr. E. The way he talks sounds like Dr. Evil. Like yeah. he literally has a Dr. Evil accent. Like, I'm going oh. to do it like this. And I'm just now, like, this now fucking I'm, Dr. Evil. I'm, I'm wondering now if Mike Myers is doing an impression of Lauren Michaels too as Dr. Evil. Maybe, maybe. I've seen There's a few interviews um, with Lauren Michaels. I don't know if he fully sounds like, hello, I'm going to speak like that. I don't know if he fully sounds pretty like close. that. Pretty yeah. close. Uh, but... <laughs> It's funny because there's a there's a podcast. I don't know. It started sometime oh, last year. That sound good. It, David Spade and um, is it Rob Schneider? I think it's like David Spade and Rob Schneider, two of the Saturday Night Live guys or whatever. It's basically them. Oh, Dana Carvey and David Spade. So they just bring on people from like Saturday Night Live, and some of them are people like Tom Hanks or John Hamm who are just guest hosts. I'm but- David Pumpkin. <laughs> Oh, David S. I'm so glad you introduced that. There's an issue now. Did you see they did a redux of it last year? I don't know if you saw the new one, but anyway. I think you did share it with me, yeah. Uh, But but yeah, like uh, this podcast, they will always bring people on like Conan O'Brien or Tim Meadows or somebody who is on Saturday Night Live. And it always evolves into somebody doing a Lord Michaels impression and it always sounds like that. So this is this has to be a huge thing that people's Lord Michaels impressions. I always bring up John Mulaney, but you need to watch some of his stand up where he talks about writing on and I told the story about how he tells the Patrick Stewart story. But he like mm-hmm. he goes on about he's like celebrities are weird and he like goes on about telling about writing a sketch with Mick Jagger. And he's like, I want a Coke and it's just like, and immediately a Coke appears. It's like when you're that famous, you just say something and it happens. Um, but no, it's it's quite funny. Um, I guess we can get into this. <laughs> this is this is gonna breeze by probably. I mean, look, famous last week, but like, I legitimately don't know. Like, because the thing that I think is the we came up with this idea of like let's host the opposite countries, and I'm pretty sure we've done this before, which is kind we of might a, have, yeah. It's a unique take on doing it, but like. I think this way I'm probably going to skip over a bunch of obvious funny things or maybe connections to past sketches or things like that because I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess, and I could be wrong, that like a lot of references are in this are from the show because like a weird comparison. A handful. handful. Because like I guess you had that Monty Python, the one that I kind of randomly thought of, and I remember this as a kid, and but now in hindsight, like it makes sense. Like you're, I know you're, you're a massive Mr. Bean fan. And I remember, like, my mum and I were obsessed with Mr. Bean. So, like, the, the movie in 97, like, we, we went and saw it, like, boom, straight away. And then I remember the car ride home, us going, like, oh, they just did things from the TV show, the vomit bag yeah. and this and that, and just complaining about that. I'm like, well, that's what they do when it comes to making a big screen adaptation, right? So, mm-hmm. again, I don't know if you want to point out, like, this is from a famous sketch or, like, this is a character from, like, I don't know. I have no idea. There's... There's less in this than I than I thought. That's that's I I kind of expected because of how many characters in this movie and having not seen it since really the mid '90s that it would have been loaded with them. But uh, there's really a handful here, only a few that are prominent. And I think the thing with this movie is that the, the, the and I think you might have mentioned this too. They're kind of very short scenes, all kind of gelled together with the yeah. storyline. So obviously a sketch show that kind of makes sense. So basically the opening we get this cool kind of very '90s computer esque uh, graphics with all the the fancy globes and writing and stuff and we just kind of sweep through this city so we're kind of going to meet all our depressed characters we've got a homeless guy dreaming of a happiness window we've got the croatian taxi driver driving around complaining about homeless he's people. from the he's from the, the the tv series okay there you go uh we've got <laughs> these metal this metal club which i just love the fact that every time we come to this metal club it's literally the same like couple of notes just like <laughs> and like i guess this is relevant it's the mid 90s grunge and metal right so like this is the thing mm-hmm. and what does he like come out on stage and he's just like 
everyone, I'm depressed. Sadness is great. And he just like walks straight off and you got a woman burning a cigarette in a wrist because why not? Um, I love I love just this guy like upstairs masturbating to like Mr. October, Mr. November. And I just love the two kids sitting on the couch. The mum comes home. Hey, kids, what's going on? Where's your father? Upstairs masturbating to gay porn. <sighs> and then he's just like, oh, I was, I was in the shower. <laughs> I was just having a shower. How are you going, honey? Having a good day? <laughs> um, you've got a random sex worker with a guy fighting on the street. You've got a German guy complaining about life. And I just love, I don't speak German. Um, and it's like, what the, the, the nipples of Mother Hope have run dry. Um, uh, we first meet our lab people. Um, so Dr. Uh, Cooper. I just keep thinking of Sheldon. Just keep thinking of the Big Bang Theory, <laughs> Dr. Cooper. His name is literally Chris Cooper, and you're thinking of Sheldon. Well, Dr. <laughs> Cooper. That's what they say on oh, the Big Bang Theory. Chris Cooper, famous Cooper. Academy Award winner. So um, what, who's an Academy Award winner? Chris Cooper? Is he a Chris Coos? Chris Cooper. Who's Chris Cooper? Google Chris Cooper. American Beauty. Um, oh. The Amazing Spider-Man. He was Norman Osborn in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Oh. oh, right. Okay. There you go. Never mind. Okay. Sorry. I just think I automatically think of Kevin Spacey when it comes <laughs> to... Uh, I watched the uh, opening. I think it was like a um, oh, one of the monologues from the Emmys recently. And um, that awkward moment when they cut to Kevin Spacey doing a monologue in the crowd. Oh, this doesn't hold up. And I'm like, oh, there's my man. Anyway, hello, Kevin, if you're listening from jail. Um, is he in jail? No, he hasn't gone to jail, has he? I don't he? think so. I think he's got a new movie coming out, doesn't he? Oh, his doesn't. first new movie. Oh, oh, let's go see it. Um, so we we go into the the drug place, basically. We meet our main characters. Again, I don't know their names. I'm just going to call it scientists and man dresses woman because I can't remember their yeah. names. So you, <laughs> you can fill in the gaps there. And they basically, we've got this uh, old lady who's sort of one of the main patients. They give her a bit of a, a drug. And it's going to unlock her happiest memory because it's a depression drug, basically. It's an antidepressant. It's going to make you permanently happy. Um, if only we could have that on this show. So she eats it and then her, and it basically goes back and we're going to see these flashbacks of a person's happiest memory. And I laughed at this one where it's like her happiest memory is her children and grandchildren coming over for Christmas and they'll come in like, hi, hi, grandma, hi, grandma, goes open presents. And the guy's just like, hi, how you doing? Oh, cool. Drinks a bit of alcohol. All right, well, that's good. Got to go. Here's your present. It's a harmonica. Okay, bye. And then basically they're gone and out within five seconds. And then the woman's are like, oh, what a lovely Christmas. <laughs> um, so that was her happiest ever memory. Um, and then they realize, oh, my goodness, this drug works. And uh, straight away, they're all like, wow, this is exciting. Um, we've got, is this a bit where like, no, they're not raiding the monkeys yet. That's later, isn't it? Um, again, I'm forgetting a lot. There's a lot of like one liner bits, which just come out of nowhere, which, which are funny. So please fill me in when you go over it. Mm. We go to Rorita Pharmaceuticals where we've got one of Dave Foley's characters um, and we've got the big boss guy, the priest from Night of the Rocks. Lord Michaels. Lord Michaels <laughs> flies in and they're all like, he's on the way. What's his mood today? I don't know. He's wearing red socks. Red socks! Red socks, everyone! Red socks! So they quickly like change the carpet to like red socks and then basically he walks out of the elevator and he's sort of like, hmm, and you see the red socks and he walks down this red carpet, goes into a a big um, boardroom meeting where he's kind of like trying to get an update on things. And what does he say here where they're like, 
oh, yes. And then the woman's like, oh, how was the big board meeting, sir? And everyone sort of gets all awkward. It's like, may I have the room, please? <laughs> Everybody leaves. And was he like, my empire is falling apart. <laughs> all right, everybody come back into the room, please. <laughs> so basically they're a drug company and they're trying to find the next big drug because what does he have? Scrumpies or something like that? Was he's... Uh, tum- tum- tummies, I think, or tummies. something like that. Tum- tum- tummies, isn't that a real drug? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he's had some. Which what is that drug meant to have done? Like, do we know, or is it just a joke? You don't. I know. think it's like a weight loss drug or something like that. Because they've got a I whole table filled with them. Like, have a have a scrumpy, and they're all like stummies. Stummies. That's what stummies. It was halfway yeah. between. I said scrumpy. You said tummy. So you know, we <laughs> that's what we met in the middle. Um, so is this where like he also says before they sit down, it's like, when are we going to get that big table I've asked for? Like, it's a bit of construction work could help with that <laughs> one. Like, this is like. I, I'm a funny person, clearly, but like I've always wanted to do, like, it's on my bucket list. I'd love to do stand up. Just like go to a club, probably get booed off stage. But like, I would like have loved to have done comedy in some way where this is the type of comedy, like just sketch comedy where it's like dry, just like kind of silly humor where it's just sort of like, when are we going to get a bigger table? This table's pretty small, <laughs> isn't it? Like, I don't know. Like, this is the type of comedy that I actually like. So it'd be so much fun filming something like this, even though they obviously everyone hated each other, but uh, it still would have been fun. So anyway, they're trying to find a drug. And so they're going around. Uh, so we're going to have Dave Foley's going to go to the, the monkey lab. And who do we get in our next scene when they're given the placebos? We Academy get Award winner. Random guy with pimples one. Random woman with pimples two. And Academy Award winner, Brendan Fraser. I kind of wish you Props didn't. Brendan Fraser. I kind of wish you didn't tell me he was in this movie because I would have lost my <laughs> shit. Like I, I was expecting him, sadly. But like if you hadn't have told me. Now, he was a somewhat of a biggish deal at this point. This is like oh, a yeah. year really? out before the, the first Renaissance with like George of the Jungle and all that kind of stuff. But like he had done sort of those ones we talked about before. He'd obviously done Encino mm. Man and all that sort of stuff at this with point. With honors. So was this like just like legitimately like, because he's not even credited. He's not in the credits. So like, was this yeah. just like a cameo? We'll, get, we'll see what we can get. And like, how do they end up getting Brendan Fraser? Yeah, I, I can't find how it actually happened. Like, I would just assume that Brendan Fraser was a fan of the kids in the hall. And maybe as a Canadian, they're like, hey, who do we know that we could get to maybe cameo in this movie? And he's just the guy who came to mind. Um, I don't think he's ever talked about it. I don't think they've ever talked about it. I, I, I would love them to do a commentary and find out because this was obviously it was pre George of the Jungle, pre Mummy, but yeah. you go from Encino Man to with that movie with honors was like I think one of the top ten highest grossing films of the year. Um, <laughs> Sorry, how can you not let us every time I hear with honors? It's Men in Black with honors. Uh, oh yeah, with honors. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> the best of the best of the best with Sorry. honors. With honors. <laughs> but yeah, like like he was still a really big deal, and there was that other movie now and then. Um, the mm. one was like Demi Moore was the older version. Then you had the younger kids and he had just a random cameo in that movie, just one scene. So I think, I think he was just sort of like, I'm a big deal now. I kind of want to just do some fun little cameos. Maybe it was just a project he had on the side. I do. I like, I love that when you sort of get people who will just have that. Like, I mean, I, I mentioned, I don't think you, you, why would have you watched it? It's not Christmas anymore, but that Ryan Reynolds, uh, Will Ferrell one, the oh, yeah. spirited or whatever it was called. Um, just like the most hilarious Judy Dench cameo you will ever have in a movie. Like it's just, it's so blinking. You miss it. And they're doing this big song and dance number from like the 1800s. And they're basically like, was that Judy Dench? And you actually like rewind it. And it's just literally Judy Dench. I think says like one line just walks off camera. And you're like, fuck, it really was Judy Dench. Like, it's, just, it's so funny, but like, I love it when they do it. And like, he, I, I was expecting him not to have a speaking role. And then he's kind of got another little scene later on. So um, yeah, I just, 
Props to Colin Hilding for spoiling this, but anyway, it's still funny. Uh, so they're the placebo one, and then you've got this guy talking about monkeys and whatever, and I don't get the monkey joke. He's like, take, do anything, but let me keep my monkeys. So Dave Foley meets the Chris Cooper Connor guy here, and um, he's all like, hey, so uh, I need you to come with me right now. And then their whole co- why is their whole company like going crazy? Is this just... Because the drug company is ripping them apart. What's the joke here? Why their entire company is going to shit? That's the thing with kids. Even, even, even kids that hold their best on the TV series. Half the time you watch it, go like, I don't know what I just saw. It's kind of funny, though. <laughs> I do like, though, when we've got this boardroom meeting before we get the main scientist guy going. <laughs> when you've just got these random people meetings like, so I've got a drug that gives your ex-girlfriends worms. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's the point of this? It gives your ex-girlfriend worms. Okay. What about ex-boyfriends? It gives your ex-girlfriend worms. I love this guy. That's me. Um, crazy. You just don't get it. And then he just like walks out. Uh, and the other guy, what's this, this other guy? He's like, it's like scrummies, but just a little bit different. Oh, I'm listening. Go on. So it's basically the same thing, but different. And then what, what do they say? Like, oh, does it, what's the side effect they say? Does it give you. Flipper babies. Uh, no, d- but it's not like it's going to give, it's going to produce flipper babies, right? And he's all like. <laughs> so there have been some flipper babies. <laughs> and the thing that I like, I always love about these like sketch comedy shows is like, Clearly, this guy has got a very obvious wig on and they've just painted on like a little uh, flavor saver thing. Like sometimes it's just that's the joke, right? Like when it's kind of like mm. it's so bad with the actual uh, like facial hair. I've just started watching, um, which I know you'll be thrilled with and I know Noah listening to this because it clearly is, um, the latest season of Manifest and uh, the, the main guy, Josh Dallas or whatever his name is. Oh, um, he's horrible. I got to say, he's very well suited to a show like Manifest. Like, the guy <laughs> is not going to be an Academy Award winner. But, like, you know when you've just got those actors who are just suited to network television? And yeah. 20 years ago, they would have won an Emmy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Seriously, like, before HBO and all that came along, they would have won an Emmy because by network TV standards, they're a good actor. But outside of that, <laughs> they're not great. But he's in this season I'm watching... It's like being two years later and he's all like he's lost his wife. I'll sad. But he's got like the most fakest beard and like mullet. Like, oh, I'm so depressed. And it's like, Jesus, Netflix. I think now he's at yeah, Paramount, whatever. Who, no, Warner. Warner, like pay for a better freaking beard. <laughs> anyway, so they bring in Chris Cooper Connors. I'm going to call him Dana Carvey. It reminds me of Dana Carvey. <laughs> um, and he's all like, hey, so I've got this drug that basically doesn't make you depressed anymore. And they're all like, oh, okay. Does it work? And he's all like, Yes, it works. And it's all like, all right, we're going to market it and we're going to put it out there. So then he goes back to his lab and he's basically like, hey, everyone, so um, this drug is going out to market. And they're all like, but you said it didn't work. And it's like, oh, well, but we're getting all this money for it. Um, they go out drinking. <laughs> Random sketches that are not funny that I find funny. I just love this moment with this guy at the bar. He's like, all right, so you having a drink? You having a drink? Oh, go on, Jenny. You having a drink? You having a drink? <laughs> all right, so you're having a drink? You're having a drink? Oh, go on, Jenny. You having a drink? All right, you having a drink? It like, goes on for about five minutes, but I just don't know why that is so funny. <laughs> I just find that really, really funny. Um, have you ever been to like a tiki bar? I know you don't drink, but like I'm sure you've been to bars, but like have you been to like a tiki bar before? I, I can't say I have. They're great. I um, Casey, the one who was in the background, uh, <laughs> when I first went on a date with her, 
Uh, we went to a tiki bar and we one of our regular places we go on the Upper West Side was a place called Tiki Chick. If anybody's in New York, go to Tiki Chick. Great little bar. I'll go with I'll go to Tiki if, Chick with you, Colin. If you're the owner of Tiki Chick, you can advertise here on the Oz Network for exactly. as low as three dollars a month. Please do. I'd gladly have Tiki Chick advertised because it's a great place. Great. They had like uh, this is the beauty of like your part of the world. Cheap food. You get like a what do you call them? Chicken sandwiches. I'd call it a chicken burger uh, for like four dollars, and they're like this big and great cocktails. That's where I I had another date there, but then I the, the girl who told me about Aha. So Tiki Chick <laughs> connected me to Aha and connected me to the girl in the background on one of our podcasts. So Tiki Chick, connection to the Oz Network. So there you go. Proud sponsor. Yes. <laughs> Colin oh, that it? That's, a, that's it? <laughs> Ben's rant of the day. Uh, so um, they're drinking in the bar. There's a guy riding an elephant. Um, the, I love it. It's like... Dr. Chris Connors, Dana Carvey's all like, yes, my father had depression. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. And so we have this weird little flashback of like little Chris on a wheel and dad comes home. He's like, oh, did you clean the house? Oh, yeah, yeah, Did you clean under the fridge? Oh, yeah, yeah, Did you clean my gun? Oh, yeah, yeah, And then he walks inside and you hear this bang. Ow, my foot. Bang. Ow, my other foot. And then they cut back to him. Two hours later, he eventually hit a major artery and died. <laughs> Again, it's not funny, but it's funny. And then yeah. we kind of had this sort of... Um, I, I'm guessing they're meant to be parroting a love story in a movie like this because this love story is just hilarious because it's just basically mm-hmm. him trying to kiss this Jenny woman and they go to kiss, oh, no, we can't, we're scientists. Oh, oh no, we can't, we can't do this. <laughs> and they're sort of back and forth. And that's kind of setting up a love story that's not really a love story, but it's a funny love story. Um, and I might sort of cap it here uh, where he comes in the next day He's got to go back to the drug place, have a marketing meeting. We've got this, I love this marketing guy when he's basically like, I was driving in my car and this bird hit my window. And that, you know, that was good news because it made me come up with the name of the drug, which what's the name of the drug? Like Gleaminex. Gleaminex, thank you. Um, And then we're going to make it orange. But the drug is kind of like a blue color. (laughs) Orange orange it is. Um... And then the old lady with the Christmas flashback, she, uh, she's at the lab and she's all like, I'm so happy. My happiest memory has been there forever. Thank you so much. And this is going to set them on the course to uh, get the drug out there. So um, actually, probably best if I... The, the scene after that is basically kind of a montage of them distributing the drugs. So we see the homeless guy like, I was depressed and now I'm a cleaner. And then <laughs> we've got Chris, Chris Dana Carvey on basically White Oprah. Um, <laughs> I love this guy. I want to be a scientist like you. Uh, stay in school and and work hard. It's like an old man. And I love those those two women. It's the hardest I laughed at the whole movie. <laughs> I love these two women. My friend and I think you look like Tom Jones. Yeah, yeah, that's what we think. Uh, okay. Does anyone want to talk to me about the process of making this drug? Nah. Why don't you stand up and wiggle your hips a little bit and you study? You don't have to be rich. To be my girl. <laughs> he starts dancing to Tom Jones. I'll, I'll cap it there just before the cop scene. Uh, so that's basically a third of the movie. Um, and again, I've missed probably a thousand and one jokes, but basically the plot is they've created a drug that cures depression. It, it's not ready, but hilarity ensues. Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, now, first the first scene, the opening one with um, the dad masturbating upstairs again and everything. Uh, Scott Thompson uh, was openly gay. 
and was. on so decided his, not to be anymore, it. did he? he? He decided I'm going back in the closet. <laughs> 2013, now that gay thing. <laughs> Overrated. Didn't really work. That was so 90s. <laughs> yeah. As, as we know, it's a choice, Colin. So, I mean, clearly. Now now, yeah. now I am non-binary or whatever word <laughs> would be. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it was very ahead of its time on Kids in the Hall because he, he had several characters that were gay. There was one character, um, I think it was Buddy Cole was the name. And he was basically a guy who owned like a gay bar and he'd just do like these long monologues directly to the camera, totally playing on gay stereotypes. The best one I can think about is one where he's talking about baseball and he's out there like like doing the most flamboyant baseball, hitting the baseball and then shimmying through. But like he would play up on gay stereotypes, but like as a gay man doing it, it's you just you laugh at it even more somehow it's actually funnier to not have the straight guys doing it but it, it was extremely i mean we're looking at american tv it was what the late 90s by the time you had somebody openly gay even an actor acknowledging it let alone characters and he did all the time um so i mean yeah this character is definitely very scott thompson uh he's also extremely good at playing like these very macho guys which is what's funny that he could do like both polar opposites of that i i um, honestly would have assumed that he wasn't gay like i just assumed it yeah, was just yeah. a straight guy going up to gay stereotypes but there you yeah go. no like he he and he prided himself i think more than the other kids in the hall he really prided himself on the tv show for trying to address things like that in ways that other tv shows wouldn't so he was like the guy who wanted the show to be smart you know and and um progressive uh but it's, it's such a funny that this is one of my favorite side characters of the whole movie the dad <laughs> who's clearly gay but doesn't want to admit it uh and the yeah the other patient that 957 the older lady scott thompson's playing that one too um <laughs> my favorite part when dave foley comes in on the, the her fondest memory of the christmas day and he's like so i hear dad died oh gee is that eggnog all right well it looks like we gotta go <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that line i forgot about that line so i hear dad died uh <laughs> And a small cameo, not many people are going to know, but um, the the actress who plays his wife, Kathy Greenwood, uh, she's, uh, I guess, a fairly regular um, cast member on Whose Line Is It Anyway, back on like the old show with Drew Carey and the new one what now. Uh, she really has nothing in this one scene here, but there, did you actually see the post credit scene in the movie? I did, yeah. Or did you turn off? No, no, okay, I, yeah. I, she's, I did. Yeah. She appears then and actually kind of gets a laugh at that point. Um, the boardroom meeting, like, I, I love this character. I'm, I'm so glad that they brought it back. That's why I shared you that sketch, the opening of the new TV series, where these same Dave Foley as the assistant and then Mark McKinney as the, the CEO or whatever are actually back and discussing kids in the hall finally made its money back. Oh, I thought it would take <laughs> a week. And that's that's an off years. network joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One dollar. We've made our money back. Uh, <laughs> see, we've got kids in the whole humor on this show. That's what we do. Let's get them on the show. That's the only thing left to do. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love the boardroom scene. Like, uh, and, and <laughs> there's one part, and I can't even remember what it was that they were talking about, but he was basically saying maybe it was the the table, like uh, getting a bigger table. But he's like, so where are we on that thing that we discussed? And then Dave Foley's like, you mean that thing that you literally just mentioned yeah. right now? <laughs> yes. It's going we're right. On, <laughs> we're on top of it. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> Uh, Brendan Fraser's cameo, like it's, and I, I completely forgot. It was only when I was looking up the movie and I saw like, you know, cameo Brendan Fraser. I'm like, that, my worry was that you would just be watching this in the background and somehow miss that he was on it because you were looking at the screen. So I'm like, you got to know that he's going to be in there. Uh, and he's, it's still so funny because you know, he's, he's so stressed out. And this is not the way you expect to see Brendan Fraser where he's like, hold on. All this happened in the last six weeks. I've gained eight pounds and I'm breaking out. It's a now sugar, you're giving me it? sugar. It's just sugar. <laughs> He's really stressed out. 
There is one other part um, later in the movie, which I'm pretty sure I'd have to actually flip through it to see, but I'm pretty sure the scene where there's the second gay orgy that gets broken up in the lab and you see everybody running out of there. There's one guy running out of yeah, there. Yeah, I said like that. The... You don't listen to me, do you, Colin? I said you yeah, see but, him later but... on. That's Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I just said I, I wasn't sure if that's him. Come but, on, uh... Colin, listen to me. I'm used to having <laughs> so no listeners, but not for you. <laughs> I know what's the point of listening to Ben? I mean, <laughs> hey, here to listen to Ben? It's on my resume. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what's the point when of I, listening to hi, Ben? Hi, I'm Ben Waterworth. Hi, I'm here for your job. What's the point of listening? Actually, that's the name of my new autobiography hey, coming out soon. No, I was going to say that if you get back on the radio, 100%, I want the show to be called What's the Point of Listening to Ben in the Morning? <laughs> <laughs> Seven to nine on Fox. <laughs> Um, yeah, like the, uh, the other doctors with the, it, this gives worms to ex-girlfriend can also be used on ex-boyfriends. That's so good. The flipper babies is fantastic. Um, when, when Kevin McDonald comes in and he gives the pitch and he's saying, it's like, it's going to cure depression. And it's like, is it ready? Now? I, I don't think that the, the famous line that was in all the trailers is, and it showed later on, he says, in my opinion, the drug is ready. I don't think he says it here. I think they just cut away and then they come back to the lab, but uh, I think bigger than the movie itself, the soundtrack here in Canada was like huge. And the main reason is because the biggest band of all time here in Canada, the tragically hit Rush. actually oh. were, were bigger than Rush in Canada. Like I, I, if Rush is like, you know, the uh, huge band tragically hip is about twice as big as them. I think, I think their lowest selling album in the nineties was something like six times platinum. I mean, that's how big they were. And they decided to do a new song for the soundtrack, which was written for it. And the credits the songs, it, no, uh, it, it's it's you never actually hear the the lyrics in this, but it's it's the song plays constantly. Uh, when he leaves, there's the dun, 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 dun. it almost sounds like "Walking on the Sun" by Smash Mouth, but you just hear the instrumental stuff in here. But the 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 actual chorus of the song is, in my opinion, the drug is ready. They actually incorporate that. So tragically, hip were you know. Imagine if you two just decided they wanted to lend a song to a night at the Roxbury or Superstar <laughs> or the Ladies Man. What is love? <laughs> yeah. Lady, yeah. don't hurt me. <laughs> the YouTube version of Hadaway. There we go. <laughs> that's basically like as ridiculous sound. That's how big it was. The tragically have had not just a song on the soundtrack, but they wrote a song for this movie that is well, incorporating dialogue from it. Uh, and it got eclipsed like after the movie came out, they released their new album, which had like their biggest hit of all time. But that the the song still is here and it kind of plays in the background I, after this. I'm just going to quickly say that I was going to ask you about the credits because they I assumed it was them or somebody because they, they sounded very Canadian, Rocky, Rocky. Yeah. Like, like what you've what I know briefly of the Tragically Hip or Rush or bands like there's, that. Um, there's two songs that played in the credits. The first one is um, a singer, Matthew Sweet, who's American, ah. but... Uh, uh, actually, my probably my very favorite song of all time is a Matthew Sweet song. Um, not the song of the Brain Candy; it's still good. But the second song that plays "Eat My Brain," that's <laughs> a band called The Odds, who had literally just come off of basically getting what's the most coveted spot in Canadian music, the opening act for the Tragically Hip, like a year or two before this movie. And that song "Eat My Brain" ended up becoming like a top ten hit here in Canada. But the one of the guys from The Odds actually uh, does the score for this movie, and even though Bruce McCullough, one of the kids in the hall is playing the singer in the club scenes. Um, it's the rest of the band is the band, the odds, the ones who do that in mm. credit song, eat my brain. So like you know, a lot eat of big brain. Canadian bands really it, sounds like eat my shorts. specifically. It, exactly. Yeah. Um, you're, you're not going to recognize them, but I think some people might, the, the two groupies weren't in any way famous at the the time, but like they appear at a couple points in this movie. The um the the blonde one, uh, Krista Bridges. She she ended up being on the final season of Heroes, 
uh, in oh, a pretty big role. But people watch she, that. <laughs> but but after this, a couple years after this, she's on a show that only lasted, I think, two or three years, but it made my top 50 favorite TV shows of all time called Power Play about a hockey team. Oh, yeah. And I've, she I've was great to find on that. It. I've never found, been able to find it. But like, yeah, yeah I, think that, I think I recently found a couple episodes. But uh, if I find it, I'll share it because yeah. it's a great show. I'd love but to watch the it. The other one. Yeah. The other one, Nicole DeBoer, so she um, she ended up on the final season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, like as one of the the leads on that show. And actually, just after Brain Candy, starred in another movie that I've talked about doing on here for years called Cube. So we might actually be seeing her in a few years, but neither of them are famous at this point. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, oh, you you did you did miss the que- Queen Elizabeth Scott Thompson as Queen Elizabeth approving uh, the drug? Yeah, the approved. Drug approved. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's funny. Rest in peace. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the I think that the, the dad depression thing, that's one of those things where it's like, I don't know why it's funny, but like, I I, it, I would say at least 50% of kids in the hall sketches. You will watch it. And it'll be four or five minutes long and you're not laughing. You're just trying to wrap your head around. What is this? And then all of a sudden at the end, you're like, I don't know why, but it's like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> you don't get it. Uh, um, I, I don't know why I wrote this down. I won't call for, oh yeah, this is when the, after their, their tiki bar, thing didn't happen where they're saying it's like uh okay i just want to talk about the other night it's like don't bother i won't bother calling you for a week okay good (laughs) it's just this awkward conversation between them and then uh the 957 the old lady with the christmas memory she says i become a nude art model (laughs) (laughs) uh do you you did talk about probably one of my favorite quick scenes this entire movie is the commercial for gleamanex this guy, like you said, he becomes a security guard, the worst actor ever. It's like, Jesus, I mean, Dr. Cooper gave me this drug <laughs> and now I'm more productive. I'm a security guard with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and then this marketing guy, which the aside from coming up with the name Gleamanex, where uh, he says it's like 72 degrees in your head all the time. And then when uh Chris Cooper goes down to tell the other scientists like that they've proved this or whatever. Uh, and then they're in the boardroom and he's saying like, it's like, it's like we say in the lab, it's 70 degrees. We don't say that. And then uh, Bruce McCall's like, well, we could start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the other, one other random part with um, Scott Thompson's other female uh, lab member, a lab doctor, when he comes in to tell them that they're going ahead with the drug and it says, but it's not ready. It's like, well, Baxter said that it was ready to go. You're not saying you don't trust Baxter, right? <laughs> and it was a dirty look on her face. Like it's it's so stupid, but like there is stupid comedy, and then there is brilliantly stupid comedy, and kind of like Monty Python. Monty Python is brilliantly stupid. This at times is just stupid, and other times it is brilliantly stupid. And I think that like especially the boardroom scenes to me are brilliantly stupid. And then the um all of the little clips they have of people's memories, like not just the old lady, which I think probably is one of the best scenes of the whole movie with the the family at Christmas. But even the other ones we see is like, it's brilliantly stupid. I think, and even talking about this now, this is obviously like a show and a movie that, uh, I mean, you were saying about the comments and everybody saying they love it. Like this is, this is one that you clearly talk about with your friends or you talk about whatever and you just go, oh, this bit yeah. and this bit. And it's like, Again, a lot of this, I can see why people would watch this and go, that's not funny. Like my dad would watch this and go, that's not funny because he doesn't really <laughs> yeah. like this. Type. Like some people just don't like this type of humor, but like it's it's kind of quotable and you just kind of say things and it, 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 out of context, it doesn't make sense. But I mean, I I did that Mario Lanza show a few years ago and we talked about uh, the South Park movie and we've never done it. I'd love to do the South Park movie on this show one day as well, but like a great movie, hilarious, but like that was literally a movie that 
for years, I had this one friend in high school. That was it, one friend. Um, and we would just sit there in class and constantly quote the South Park movie like over and over. Some of the bits that aren't even like the obviously funny bits. You would just like, you always just have random memories where you just go, oh, this quote, and you just say it over and over again. And we've all got that. Like I talked about, not a funny movie, but Tomb Raider, how my friend and I, Trent Queen, would always talk about like, oh, time to say as well again, Lara. Absolutely. Like you just, you have those stupid things that you just say between your friends. And this is definitely a movie or a TV show that I feel you'd always have those like, yeah. one-liners and stuff like Saturday Night Live is a classic example of so many different things that I mean more more cowbell like I mean that's stupid but it's fucking hilarious isn't it I like, live in a van <laughs> down by the river <laughs> like so many of those things that you look back on now that are just not funny but they are funny yeah. so that's the beauty of it. and like I talked like Boytown never took off in this country but like if we ever do and maybe I'll put it on the list next year just because I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but because it's such a, it's similar to this. It was off a very big TV show, Kath and Kim. So maybe we can do the Kath and Kim movie, um, but just don't take that as a reference point to how brilliant the TV show was. But um, I mean, Kath and Kim is so quotable in the, like the castle. They have that. Uh, Kath and Kim's on Netflix now, which I think you, you said there was an American version. This looks like it's the Australian version. I've been meaning to check it out. I've only ever seen like the first two or three episodes of the American version, like most Australians who then gave up and thought this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. I do have the entire American series to eventually watch, but the, I mean, yeah, the Australian show only went for four seasons, eight episodes each. So there's like 32 episodes. There's a TV movie, which is funny. So you could... Like I've introduced Kath and Kim to Canadians and Americans before. They watch it very quickly and they always love it. And I think it's a perfect satire and comedy into Australian suburban life. I literally, one of my friends growing up, the, her mum was one of the characters to AT, like absolutely spot on. So I would recommend if you have the time in the next 12 months to watch all of Kath and Kim and we can do Kath and Kim Dorella because Kath and Kim Dorella, oh, not, not brilliant, but it's still a good picture of the tv show i'm just looking at we've got here on netflix uh the kath and kim 20th anniversary specials the kath and kim code yeah that's the Duck tv kath movie. And kim code yeah uh the kath and kim cinderella and then the tv show so yeah they got it all here and uh, who's the really famous actor who's in kath and kim dorella um oh he's in star Brandon wars fraser uh richard e grant richard e grant's in the kath oh and kim. yeah yeah oscar nominee now yeah exactly so no like i mean look it's Definitely not the greatest movie, but it's also... Anyway, the point is, we can maybe look at that doing next year. I'll forget about that in like three weeks time when we talk about what we're going to do this year. Also, just randomly, just uh, future planning, on-air talk. Um, next year, anniversary month. We're about to do anniversary month next month. I had an idea for anniversary month, and we can put this to the listener. Oh. Uh, just a, a <laughs> thought process, right? We're obviously about to do the Truman Show as part of our anniversary mm-hmm. month. Now, in 2024... It'll be the 30th anniversary of one of the biggest years in Hollywood for one actor, Jim Carrey. He had three blockbusters in 1994. What if we did all three? So we did Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask, and then we find another Jim Carrey movie that has an anniversary, um, you know, like a 15 or 20, whatever it was, and then maybe we just sort of make it a Jim Carrey anniversary month. Like, how would that work for you? That's a a great idea. I just thought 94 was such a big year for Jim Carrey. That's renowned as one of the biggest years ever for one actor. Yeah, has any actor really had that many movies in one year and and broken through to that level where it's like everybody knew who he was overnight? And it definitely makes me a happy man doing Jim Carrey. So, I mean, I'm just looking here. Man on the Moon will be anniversary next year. That'll be what? 25 years, won't it? That's a good yeah. one. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless No. 
Lemony Snickets, I guess. Uh, well, you know what? Dumb and Dumber, Dumber 2, 2, it'll be the 10th yeah. anniversary. Yeah, let's do that. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. We get, I mean, it's not the greatest, but um, I reckon we do that. There we go. Dumb and Dumber 2, Dumb Good and Dumber, idea. Ace Ventura 1, and then uh, The Mask. The Mask. Oh, Ben, you smart little motherfucker. <laughs> Uh, and then can we, like, commit in 2026 to do the Cable Guy, please? Like, I just... I, that needs oh, to get absolutely. some love. Also, just uh, while I remember, this uh, this got nominated for, like, Stinker of the Year Award at the the other Razzies. And I saw, like, the um, the Cable Guy, Twister, and Independence Day got a, non- a lot of nominations in the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. Cable Guy, no. mate, because that, that wasn't well received back in the day. I understand that. But, like, seriously? Independence Day and Twister? Anyway, um... Sidetracked, um, I reckon I can get through pretty much a whole bunch of these now. So we've got yeah. uh, the two cops <laughs> who are like just sitting out of this, uh, outside of this toilet. I don't know, I can't remember what they're talking about here, but I love this guy who's just like, ha, 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 got to let the old uh, juice out of the snake or whatever it is. And he goes to the toilet <laughs> and then all these like men come running out of the toilet, the old trope of gay men in the bathroom. I, I think I've told this story before, but I never forget one time, like as a 17 year old going around, like, you, you know, I don't, I don't know if you did it or not, Colin, but like you, one of your friends would get their license. So they'd come pick you up on a Saturday night at like 11 o'clock. Let's go driving. Right. Because yeah, driving. Let's, we're going to go hooning around the city. And one of my friends at the time, gay. And so like we're driving around, we get pulled over by the cops. Cause it's like, my friend's like a 17 year old girl driving at night. So, you know, just checking license, make sure you're not drinking. So my, my gay friend says to the cop, oh, excuse me, like, uh, where's the nearest bathroom around here? I need to go to the toilet. And the cop goes like, oh, there's one over there at St. David's Park, but I wouldn't go there at this time. And that's where all the gays hang out. <laughs> and, and my friend is basically like, oh, all right, let's go. Like a cop is literally saying to us, that's where all the gays hang out. Um, now, if only that happened now and we were filming that, that would make the news. Um, Tasmania police, by the way, homophobic in like 2004. Um, but I love it when they bring him home and he's like, oh, Nate, what do the cops say? Like, oh, we didn't arrest him. We thought bringing him home buck naked in the middle of the night in front of the neighborhood would be punched enough. And I love it when he says, I really don't get men like this, ma'am. I've got a hot piece of ass like this at home. And they go ahead and do this. And she's like, well, that was lovely. <laughs> but I just, I love it when they like, this guy just sort of comes home and clearly everyone in the family knows that he's gay. And this is when he's got the bit on the couch and he's kind of like, oh, so, yes, he just grabbed my head and tried to kiss me and I just, I was wondering why. And he's like, well, isn't that the bit where you said he grabbed him on the ass and, like, drew him towards you? (laughs) Well, yes, but I'm just, I'm just wondering why everyone thinks I'm gay. Like, all these, why do people like this always think I'm gay? And then, so this is when the drug is obviously out in the market, so the, the psychiatrist guy is just all like, hey, take this drug, you know, you'll, you'll be happy and find out who you are. So he takes the the pill. Uh, actually, no, I'm jumping ahead there, but I will get to that. Um, we've got this scene in the back of a taxi with Croatian taxi guy kicks these two people out because they swear. That was a bit weird, but okay. Um, we've got another metal scene. I love the metal scene. And I just go, all right, quiet, quiet. So I hear there's this new drug out there that makes people happy. I hate happy. Heroin. <laughs> no. Horse tranquilizers. No. Speed. No. <laughs> Forgot about that bit. But I love it when he's just kind of like, he doesn't say like fuck happy, but he's just like, no, screw happy. And everybody's like, yeah. 
Um, we're going to boardroom meeting where <laughs> Dave Foley comes in. Got some bad news. Remember, it's not always great. And he looks at the front page of the newspaper and it's like Gleamex above penicillin. <laughs> It's like, you played me there, didn't you? I did. Can I have the room for a second? We're above penicillin. <laughs> That's funny. I laughed at that. Um, this is where old uh, gay dad is taking the pill and his flashback is like in the army. Like, I'm going to make you do push-ups. Oh, okay. On your back. Okay. Uh, and then he goes into this song. Honey, guys. I'm gay! Yay! Yes, <laughs> his song and dance number. I'm gay. Da, 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 da. <laughs> He's I'm... gay! <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Um, we've got like the party basically for um, Chris Connors Cooper guy with the drugs. Uh, we meet Cancer Boy, which I mean, okay, I get why people might think it's in bad taste, but like at the same time, it's Kind of funny. <laughs> I don't know. Can, can you pause here for a second? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was the big controversy. Now, the story that has never been confirmed, probably because Paramount has a stake in Amazon, uh, is that there was one executive who had, I don't know, a family member or a child who was going through cancer treatment and was so offended by this, they basically demanded they cut it from the movie and the kids in the hall refused to. Now, they've sort of talked about this in years since. I think one of the trivia things you could find is that they're divided on. I think Dave Foley and Mark McKinney or something like that said they agree they should have still kept in the movie, whereas the other three guys are like, no, we probably should have cut that out because it really hurt the movie. That's that's why it didn't get... It's hard to confirm whether that's true or not, although it makes sense, again, when you see the amount of budget they gave this movie and how many theaters they bothered to release this in. Um, but this is a character that appeared in the final episode of the Kids in the Hall TV series like two years earlier. Uh, the big difference, I think, is that the point of the joke got across a lot better. Like you were mentioning about that other show, uh, you know, it, it's about playing on the, the disadvantaged children, stuff like that. In the TV series, there was like, I don't know, a famous baseball player or something like that who was visiting the kid, like a make-a-wish thing. It's like, I'm going to hit, you know, six home runs for you today. And then the kids will see on the radio is the guy's basically striking out and he's screaming about the you know, stupid sick kid in the hospital is the reason I can't do Then he goes back and has to apologize to the kid. Uh, the joke, the point of the joke that was came on basketball. A lot the they had like a joke of that, like they parodied oh, on basketball. Too? Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but that does sound familiar. Anyway, sorry. But but yeah, like it, it, the the point of the joke, I think, was delivered a lot better in the TV series. But I think they also didn't refer to him as Cancer Boy in the TV series. And and I, I'm 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 starting to think in my head, I'm like, if you didn't say hi, my name is Cancer Boy, would this have been offensive to anybody? It just would have been a sick kid, you know. I think was, that would have helped them a lot. Was this a, a character on the show? Like, because I feel this. It, it was one episode. As far as I know, only the final episode. It, that It was one of the sketches in, or I think the second last episode of the TV series had. It was within the final season. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, again, I get why it's, like, offensive. But, like, at the same time, like, I'm, I'm one of these people where comedy can push it. Like, we've had people in our lives who have gone through cancer. I can get why people are going to be, you know, whatever. But, like, sometimes you've got to laugh at yourself and things. And, like, I don't know. Like, it's, yeah. I, I, I'm one of these people. Take the stick out of your ass. It's just one scene of like a little kid with cancer. Like, oh, it's not going to help me, but it made my parents happy. The other the other part of this is that once you get to the second scene with Cancer Boy, the context makes a lot more sense. But in this first scene here, like having not remembered everything of the movie, I'm like, I knew obviously this was the controversial thing that apparently got the movie almost canceled uh, through Paramount. 
But when I saw the first scene, I'm like, yeah, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing. And then you see the second scene, you're like, oh, I get it more now. Yeah. I don't know. Like, um, anyway, I'm just, I'm just a sick person, apparently. We know that. Um, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, they're at this party, Cancer Boy. Um, he gets taken to a separate party. There's some mild flirting going on between him and what is his name? I just keep calling that's him Jenny. Jen- that's Janine Garofalo. Uh, oh, which one? Oh, is no, it? sorry. Not this one. Yeah, I'm saying that the when he goes to the the actual party within the party. Right. When he I, goes when yeah, Mark McKinney takes him back there and there's another girl that Jenny, let's say, is watching the monitor. The other girl is Janine Garofalo's cameo, but her, yeah, yeah, the rest yeah. of her scenes were cut from the movie. This is all that's left of her. I I'm looking at it now. That does not look like Janine Garofalo, but I yeah, okay. Cool. I was it's I kind of like like this is the real party and then they're like, "Oh, where is he? Oh, he's right there on the monitor." <laughs> like it's like, "Okay, um and then so he's like mildly flirting with that and then we get three months later um they're gonna put the uh like the the drug sales have been going great so their new marketing ploy is they're now going to put it uh out there without prescription they're also trying to sell it to dogs um which okay um and then is this where we get the it is where we get one of my favorite scenes when we were back at the metal concert it's all like hey everyone I wrote a new song when I was in the park today <laughs> and he gets out an acoustic sunshine and rainbows and puppies. <laughs> and he, like, we've got this weird like film clip of all the characters just like singing around. And then we like cut to world music awards and it's like best song or best film clip. And I love how they like intersect this with like real clips of like real award shows. And what is you all like, wow, everyone, thanks so much for this. Remember to smile. It's free. Um, I hate people like this, but this is fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where you get Cancer Boy, isn't it? Because it's basically like, oh, and now best uh, whatever category is, and he wins it for like fields of a feather or fields of, uh, I don't know, whistle while you're low is what I'm seeing here. <laughs> and he's just, oh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't whistle. This but. is the funnier part, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just, oh, God, it's funny. Uh, Chris... Connor guy walks out and he's a massive celebrity now. Uh, I love this one guy like, I was going to kill myself. If it wasn't for Gleamex. Can you sign my scars? He's like, oh, all right then. Um, and then the, the marketing guy gets stabbed in the eye with a, um, a bird again, because why not? Um, Chris Cooper's had a threesome. Uh, Jenny shows up and I, <laughs> I just like this scene. Uh, oh, is your uncle around? He's like, oh, my uncle. All right. <laughs> And then I love her. She's like, we're breaking up. And it's like, they weren't even together. It's like, we nearly kissed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just, again, I love the fact that they're just ripping into this kind of like comedy trope sort of thing of love. And she brings a mouse and she's like, oh, Jimmy the mouse is in a coma. It's like he's stuck in his happiest memory. This could be worrying. So he's all like, hmm. So then he goes back to the lab. This is where you see Brendan Fraser again. So kind of they play into the, um, the, the gay men joke from the toilet. So all these like gay men are like running out of the lab. Brennan Fraser's got like a cage, which I'm guessing is the old gerbil Richard Gear joke. Yeah, I think so. Do you, do you understand that, Colin? Do you know the... I, I've heard the story of it, so... <laughs> He's put a gerbil up his bum. Um, But it was a Ricky Gervais does a great stand-up comedy piece about that. Have you ever seen it? He's like, who started that rumor? Is Richard Gere walking around there going like, I don't (laughs) think gerbils up my bum. This is mean. (laughs) Like, it's I need to find it. Just Ricky Gervais does this very hilarious sketch, just kind of making fun of the whole Richard Gere gerbil thing. 
But um, and I, I love the the gay dad guy when he just walks out and he's now like confident gay man in his little <laughs> shorts and he's like you know he's kind of like it's all over to you or like I cleared it out for you or whatever. Um, we discover like the monkeys are in comas. Uh, old ladies in a coma because the kids are looking up a dress. I love the cats on the ceiling. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so they've discovered that there's side effects to this drugs. Basically, it puts you in a coma uh, of your happiest memory. So uh, Chris Cooper Connolly runs back to the drug headquarters. They're having a bar mitzvah because it's like, oh, we're having a private party here for my bar mitzvah or whatever it is. And so like, this drug is bad. We need to go to the press or we could not go to the press, but no, we need to go to the press or we could not go to the press. <laughs> so he's basically like, no, I'm going to go to the press. Um, but he has this like really long, like winded conversation where he takes him down to like a basement. And we see all these people in like comas. We've got some woman dancing to, um, what is she dancing to? Uh, staying alive, not staying alive, Funky Town. Uh, Funky Town, yeah. Which just always reminds <laughs> you of South great. Park. Does that not remind you of South Park with Tally? That, I know that tune. That's Funky Town. Won't you take me to a Funky Town? <laughs> Come on. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, uh, Tally. Don't forget to bring a towel. You, do you know who Tally is? No? No. He's the stoner, I, I saw, I saw, he's like the stoner the- towel. Basically, is it if it's past like the first few seasons of South Park? I probably never. Yeah, seen look, it. I I, saw, I I haven't watched a full season of South Park in a long time, and it's definitely on my list. But like, I know that there was the famous one, sort of. You know, every couple of seasons, I'll get like a famous character like out of it. And Tally was sort of like a. They were just like doing something, and they're like, oh, "We're going to go to the beach," and out of, out of nowhere, this towel just shows up. It's like, "Don't forget to bring a towel," and they're like, "Um, okay." Like, yes, it's always safe to bring a towel whenever you go to the beach. And they're like. Thanks, random towel. And it's like, want to get high? <laughs> and then like, it just went with his towel, like trying to get the kids to get high. And they're like breaking into a facility somewhere and they're trying to like break into this button. And the, the, so they're pressing it. And, they're going, dee, dee, dee. and he's like, I know that tune. That's a tune of Funky Town. <laughs> and he's won't you take me to a Funky Town? Look it up. Um, I will. <laughs> dumb comedy here on the Oz Network. Um, so basically, Lorne Michaels is pressuring them not to go to the press. Um, Chris Cooper Connolly's walking around the street and everyone's basically in comas now, including the cops who are in weird green uniforms. And then we get a flashback that he's the sergeant guy that was grilling the gay dad. And then I love this bit when in the flashback is like, all right, sergeant, you know what you have to go do? You go have sex with those men and we'll stand here and masturbate. It's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, doing it for your country. <laughs> Why is it funny? Even Colin's laughing at that and he doesn't even know what those words mean. Um, (laughs) So Chris Cooper's like, I'm going to hold a press conference. So he basically made some reference before, like, I'm going to call the press. I'm going to call college radio. I'm going to call this. So he goes back up to the uh, top of the the Globex place and is all like, all right, the press is here. We've got college radio, military magazine and Little Girl Weekly or whatever it was. And they're like, hmm. And then they show up to this press conference where basically they've... They've tried to steer it in their direction where all people in comas are going to go to the coma care place and they're all going to be given a $10,000 check. Um, and so then we kind of... I might as well just go to the end of the movie here. I'm right yeah. there. Um, it really is an easy movie to go over now that I think about it because it's just all <laughs> random bits. So then there's this big standoff where it's kind of like, no, I'm not going to let you do it. This drug's bad. Uh, if the drug is so good, why don't you take it? So um, he forces a uh, marketing guy to take it. He's, Dave Foley. 
Dave Foley to take it, uh, and his best memory is pissing in Lorne Michaels' cup. Uh, then Lorne Michaels is going to make Chris Connolly take it, but he spits it out, puts it in Lorne Michaels' mouth, and his best memory is drinking that said cup of coffee. <laughs> like, oh, it's the little things in life. There's some joke about his fingers. I don't really get that. Uh, <laughs> it just reminds me of the, the Simpsons episode where Homer takes pot and he gets high with uh, Otto. So they're called fingers, but I've never seen him fing. Oh, there they go. Uh, <laughs> do you remember that episode? No. That episode was marketed in Australia as the first ever adults only episode of The Simpsons, and they aired it at like 11 o'clock at night because it was basically Homer got attacked by crows and had to take medicinal marijuana. So he got like stoned. And like, I never forget that being the adults only episode of The Simpsons. Uh, so and, and in Canada, Kids in the Hall on Prime Time yeah. had Hitler raping a donkey. <laughs> Canadian humor. Uh, and we're the polite ones. That, that's what makes you polite. You get all that dark humor out of the way. Like, oh, hey, oh, please turn on the TV at night. Hitler raping a donkey. <laughs> this week on CBC. <laughs> we cut to the Toronto Maple Leafs losing the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs for Hitler raping a donkey too. The rape strikes back. Uh, this time around, it's the donkey raping Hitler. Um, so anyway... Uh, we then what flash forward to a world where we've got the Croatian taxi driver talking about how there's like half and half, like there's beauty pageants for coma toast people. He doesn't like the world they live in. And Chris Connolly and that are, are working on a drug to make the depression come back. So then they make this old lady like sad again uh, because she has little kid lost with balloons. That's funny. Um, and what, and then I love it when he hooks up with Jenny here. It's like, Wait, no, we've only made one old lady depressed. It's too soon. It's like, no, it's not. And then they just kiss and they that's the end of the movie. And then there's um, a, I guess, a post credit scene of the little kid is all right. The mom of the kid. The mom of the kid is all right. Um, kissing the whole brain candy. Wow. <laughs> I got through that very quickly. Uh, now, first of all, the cops. The, this is probably the most well-known characters from the TV series appear here. Uh, I, I can't. I can't even count how many episodes of Kids in the Hall they would do this, and it basically is just like um, the way that the sketches will go is they're they're really no more than like 15, 20 seconds long. Like the first part of the scene where they're just in the car talking, and they're saying like, "Did you see that talk show on TV today? Yeah, where yeah. they're talking about toast, <laughs> no, having sex with toast or whatever it was. was yeah, like, no, they were toast, talking about yeah. the drugs. Oh, oh that was a bad I dream was, I had. <laughs> I think I was dreaming about it." that's basically you ended there and that's what they would just do that in between sketches but that's what the cops are on the tv series so it's fun that they actually brought them in here and kind of just elaborate up by having them go in there and have a role by you know catching the the guy having gay sex and then bringing him home gay uh but sex. the cops are gay the cops sex. are one of my favorite things and even in the, the new series it's, I, I every couple episodes They'll they'll cut to the cops like you know in between sketches and they still just do these again stupid. Are they kind of things. like the um the old men in the Muppets where they cut to them like in the rafters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. very very good example of that. Yeah, um and yeah when they bring the dad home and then it's like was, sir was it really necessary to put him in handcuffs? Uh actually the handcuffs <laughs> were your, your husband's idea. <laughs> And I just love the way that Scott Thompson tries to explain this too. It's like, you know, this man, he just started kissing me or whatever. It's like, did you tell me that he gripped you by the buttocks that you told him pulled me closer? <laughs> and then the, the, uh, the therapy scene with the therapist, uh, where he's saying like, you know, you're gay. Every, your family knows it. Your friends know it. Even dogs know it. That was your opening line where he says, cut it with this psychiatric mumbo jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that that song and dance number is so good too. <laughs> and it's like him going, "I'm gay," and then the neighbor, all the kids, he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, uh, yeah, the the first thing with the the band where it's like heroin, it, it keeps going on and on and on. I don't know if you caught it the second time he comes back, but he he says, "I have something important to talk about," and you still hear one guy in the background go, "Heroin." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what does he say to that? Is he just like, "No," like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, um, uh, the, the other, I guess, minor cameo that appears in here with the, the singer, the, the, the grunge singer turned happy guy, uh, when they have that bizarre video about the pies where people like swimming mm, inside of pies yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that, there's a guy wrapped in a towel, which you would have seen in the sketch that I showed you from the new yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually one of the, his name's Paul Bellini. He's one of the writers on the show and the kids in the hall would just put a lot of their writers into random episodes. Um, there's one famous sketch they had where there's not even a writer, but a producer from the TV series. And they basically had like a graphs and they're like, this is how many appearances each of the cast members has had over the years. And you can see that this here, here's the famous moments from this one producer. And it's basically a guy in the background, like nodding yes and stuff like that. But like this guy, Paul Bellini, he would just always appear every once in a while in the show, just always wrapped in towel and always saying nothing. And there's, I think it was a season two episode. Uh, they they did a little sketch where it was, uh, you know, kids in the hall favorite, Paul Bellini wrapped in a towel. And this is our 1-800 contest where you call in and one lucky viewer will get to touch Paul Bellini. We will send him to your house and you can poke him or you can stroke him gently, but you will get to be the one to touch Paul Bellini. Wow. This number apparently goes to Rosetta Stone. I don't know if it was always Rosetta Stone, uh, but that's that number is, is still active. It's not a kids in the hall number. But this guy, Paul Bellini, became so huge that he got his own fan club that had more members than the kids in the hall official fan club in the <laughs> 90s. Just a writer on the show that would every once in a while appear in a towel. So to seeing him here wrapped in a towel, the only time he ever spoke on the show was the final episode, which is him literally burying them. They get buried alive at the end of the final episode of the TV series. Which makes which is sense why, in that opening. Yeah, yep. the same guy digging him up. And then at the end of the new series, you have those same the same two characters from Brain Candy, you know, the CEO, the Lauren Michael CEO, and then Dave Foley saying, oh, so what are we going to do with them now? These eight episodes are done. It's like, oh, let's put them back into storage. And then Paul Bellini in the towel again, just starts burying them alive for a second time. Uh, but yeah, this guy's like a huge, <laughs> of course, one scene is just going to be sitting there smiling, wrapped in a towel. Uh, kids in the Hall fans will definitely get it. Um, uh, wh- why did I write here? You're going to discover muscles you never knew you had. Oh yeah, this was the the drill, the sector, drill right? sergeant guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big muscles, <laughs> hard muscles. It's like oh, <laughs> and then that liar is like, you're going to go over there and have sex with him, and we're going to watch him masturbate. It's just one of these lines like you expect it to all be kind of like subtle humor because that's what you're you you think this is a guy, and then the revelation is like, no, the drill instructor actually wants to masturbate, watching them have gay sex. <laughs> Oh, good. Um, I love when uh, the success has kind of gone to Kevin McDonald's head too, like the the party scene and everything. But then when he comes in to talk to him and he says, can I get you anything? Uh, cheesecake, <laughs> Land of Montana. And he's like, double A batteries. <laughs> yeah, it goes on for like ever too. Like I just love all the things. He's like, well, you're going to get all of those things anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the World Music Awards, like this is where the Cancer Boy character is funnier. Uh, but uh when they're leaving and the guy, the marketing guy, just randomly gets a bird attack him in his yeah. eye. He loses yeah. his eye. <laughs> yeah. That's such a great visual. 
Uh, the rat that was locked in its happiest memory, like just the, this stiff rat on the wheel and everything when she's going there. You mentioned with the 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 groupies or whatever, and now his groupies. And it's like, well, we almost kissed. It's just, just the image of that rat. And then again, like you said, the cat's hanging from the ceiling, completely frozen. <laughs> uh, there is a, a kind of a cool twist on the end uh, I'll get to in a second. But just remember they said they were locked in their happiest memory here. That's kind of the twist on the ending. Uh, oh, and then the fight scene that we get between Mark McKitty and Kevin McDonald, where he's putting his finger. Don't you push your finger in my face. Oh, I'm putting my finger in your face. I said, get your finger in my face. And it's going on and on and on. And all he's doing is wagging his finger away. And then Mark McKinney for the rest of the movie has a giant. Yeah, that's like, what, like yeah, that's what I was like the finger thing where I'm like, there's a finger thing joke here where I'm kind of. Oh, like, that's what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay. Like, something to do with yeah, fingers? no, I think it's okay. just, it's just the fact they have this. It's, it's like the, um. The Hugh Grant Colin Firth fight is the wimpiest fight in movie history. But then you see that he has this enormous cast and like mechanical apparatus for his finger being pushed out of the way. Um, the uh, oh, yeah, when he brings in the media, he says, We're gonna get every college radio. And then when they actually show up, he goes, I want to thank all the media for coming here college radio, <laughs> weapons and helmet magazine. And of course, you can't forget Girl Beat. He sees this teenage girl like taking a picture. And this is the only media that comes out. Um, the, uh, the, the the final scene with, uh, I guess, the confrontation, like Jamie kind of said this, the same thing. Like like the movie, it, it has a coherent story, but then it just gets to a point. It's like, how are we going to end this movie? Yeah. I, it's just, that's a good point. Sorry to interrupt because like, I, I got to a point there where like, I, I wasn't like bored. I wasn't, you know, but sometimes you just, you check to see how long there is to go. Yeah. And I think I got, I checked and there was like 20 minutes to go. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, does this movie just like end? Like, have I gotten a, a version? <laughs> I'm thinking like, have I got like a dud version? Like I was, I was kind of confused. I'm thinking like, how are they going to end this? Like, yeah, no, I, I yeah. get that. And, and I think even though the ending is a little bit flat, like all things considered, you compare it to the other sketch comedy movies. Like Wayne's world was an anomaly. A night at the Roxbury was an anomaly outside of that. Everything Saturday night live ever did. It's Pat, the movie Stuart says his family, like they're sort of famous for making these sketches into movies that are so bad that, the Cone studios heads. won't even release them. Coneheads, yeah, basically the brain candy thing. We just don't, maybe just studios don't get it. But I think this actually probably handles the story better. But you do have this ending where, you know, you think this is the big showdown and then the, the pill goes in Mark McKinney's mouth and he's drinking the coffee that Dave Foley was urinating in and all that. And like, okay, this is the ending. But then they get to the point where it's like, oh, and the cab driver's saying, yeah, nothing really changed in the world. And then that final scene where, it actually is kind of a cool twist, but I don't think they quite land that it is a twist ending where they're saying we are going to unlock her from her happiest memory. And then you see that she's literally just now stuck in her unhappiest memory. It's not that we have cured her. She's depressed. Now she has her unhappiest memory of all time, which she is going to also be eternally stuck in. So um, it's not setting up for a sequel, but it's like it's meant to be like, oh, ironic twist. They didn't actually cure anybody. They just reversed the effects. But that. That's Monty Python-esque too, isn't it? Because like I remember, yeah. Um, the one I used to always watch was um Holy Grail, and from mm. memory, don't they all get like arrested at the end? There's like a killer bunny, and like the cops show up, and like it's like it's a joke, like basically it's set in like what ancient times. All of a sudden, all these cars show up and like arrest them. Like it's they just have that really like odd ending with these sort of shows, right? Like mm-hmm. the movies. I haven't watched Holy Grail yeah. in a long time. Fuck, I used to love that movie. I've seen it once. I've only. To be honest, I think that I've seen that one and I've seen the movie that was just them remaking sketches from the TV series. And I don't think I've seen the other ones. Was it was Life of Brian and is it The Meaning of Life? Did Meaning of Life, yeah. yeah I've, I've seen bits and pieces of that because uh, I remember... That, my... one, that one's bizarre. That one is like, it's just 
random sketches. There's no real story to that one. Well, my dad used to always talk about like, I'll need a bucket. And the guy just like vomits everywhere. But like, no, Holy Grail was the one that we used to watch yeah. all the time as a kid. That was always funny. That's just a flesh wound. Um, but yeah, like, you, oh, good, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there, there was one moment here. I didn't want to forget when Kevin McDonald's coming in and talking about how, you know, people can't just take a pill to solve their problems. He goes, just because you don't look good in a yellow hat and you see this one yeah. girl wearing yellow <laughs> looking incredibly sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, it's interesting you mentioned like the Saturday Night Live ones because obviously Wayne's World, huge. But I, yeah. Night of the Roxbury wasn't that well received, was it at the time? I not, feel? not at first. It's, it's become a, like it's become a cult classic. Um, that's 96, isn't it? We could do that the same year as Cable Guy. 98. Is it 98? Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. This is the anniversary. We should be doing it this year. Ah, so many good movies. Yeah. We're, we're One other thing on, on the um the post credit scene, I don't know what, what, you caught it, but when the mother comes in, like the kid gets lifted off of balloons, which is a hilarious way to end the movie. Like Jamie was almost crying; she was laughing hard when the kid got <laughs> lifted off of balloons. But then when the mother comes back, uh, and they're the post credit scene, it says, "Where is he?" It's like, ah, oh, and it's like, oh, great. And then she's all, "This is the lady from Who's on the Anyway," like with the snottiest expression. Of, well, he's gonna miss the clown, man, and that's <laughs> like the end of the movie. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, right? You can't laugh at a kid with cancer. You can laugh at a kid, like, getting flown up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> difference. Um, so, yeah, this movie, I guess, was mixed reception, uh, 44% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. And in that little clip that you sent me, they sort of joke on that, don't they? Like, oh, it was received mixed. You know, like, <laughs> I, I thought that was funny. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> I just want to comment on that really quickly where where if people haven't seen it, like, check out the first episode. It's Scott Thompson at a yard sale and two people are debating whether to get Problem Child 2 on VHS or Brain Can. He's like, is this the same hilarious kid in the hall? From no, these are rage-filled kids in the hall. <laughs> what he's saying, like, uh, some people say that it was just uh, a movie made to launder coke money. Others say that it was a, a co-pro with the devil. Either way, reviews were mixed at best. <laughs> <laughs> but they give him, what, like $1 and they're basically like, yeah. it has broken, finally broken even. <laughs> broken even. Um, so yeah, 55% on Metacritic. Uh, Siskel and Ebert reviewed it and they were split. Gene Siskel gave the movie three and a half stars, calling the movie audacious, clever, very funny, and predicted it would become a midnight cult film. While Roger Ebert claimed that he did not laugh once during the screening and found it awful, terrible, dreadful, stupid, idiotic, unfunny, labored, forced, painful, and bad. Uh, they show that clip on the, uh, the comedy punks documentary when they're talking about like the reviews, the people who, the few critics who did like it loved it. But then the other ones, they were so it's so angry at this movie that it actually hurt our feelings. And they play that clip of Roger Ebert and then Cisco going, no, 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 you're wrong. I, I love it when you kind of have ones that are divided like that. Uh, New York times called it nothing more than a sloppy showcase with the group's costume changing tricks. And the San Francisco Chronicle called it a splendid showcase of their diverse frisky talents. We know that's why, because they like the gay characters in it. Um, <laughs> it was nominated for most painfully unfunny comedy at the 1996 bad scene. Cause that's what I said before. And it lost to Biodome. Now, oh. I remember in science in high school watching Biodome. Uh, Kylie Minogue is in Biodome. Did you know that? No. Yeah. She... Well, Jamie, and I were, Jamie and I just watched Encino Man because we're on a big Brendan Fraser kick right now. And we're watching it. And she's like, what else did Polly Shore do? I'm like, he's just Biodome. Yeah, she she was one of the like the two main girls. Rose McGowan apparently is also in Biodome. Um, but like, I was one of those ones, like I was young when I watched it. And I... I think it took me a while to realize that this is considered a bad movie. When you're young and you watch a movie like that, you're like, oh, this is yeah. kind of funny. I'm sure if I watched it now, I'd probably be stupid. But I just, uh, before I touch on like box office and things like that, I just wanted to go over these 96 Bad Stinker Movie Awards because 
these are some of the films that were up this year. And I, I like screw the bad stinkers movie, whatever they're called. So a movie that we're doing this year for bad movie month won the worst picture, Striptease, but also nominated that year. I've never heard of The Stupids. I don't know what that is. But three other movies here that are awesome movies. Independence Day, Twister, and a, one of my favorite movies, which I think gets such unfair hate, Jack. The Robin Williams. Oh, that's a great movie. Thank you. I'm glad there's another fan about that. I don't know why that. Fran Drescher was in that movie. We shouldn't have talked to her about that. But like, I just, I don't understand why Jack is. What is? Isn't it a Francis Ford, Francis Ford Coppola movie? So I think yeah. he gets shit. Jack's a great movie. Like, I just don't understand why it gets hate. Um, other winners that year. I'm a bit upset. Whoopi Goldberg for Eddie Bogus and Theodore Rex. Not, I mean, that was her triple, her trilogy of shit that people talk about with Whoopi Goldberg. But Eddie, she's good in Eddie. Um, Jamie Gertz won for Twister for Worst Supporting Actress. I think we talked about that when we did Twister. Boo! We loved her in that film. Uh, Twister won Worst Screenplay for a film grossing over $100 million. And the sequel nobody was clamoring for. Now, it was won by The Crow, City of Angels. Also nominated, D3 The Mighty Ducks. Boo! Come That's on. That's maybe the best, well, the best sequel, including the TV series. Yeah, and also nominated in most painfully unfunny comedy, The Stupids. Again, don't know what that is. Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy. Jingle All the Way, The Aww. Cable Guy, Oh, and Biodome. What is The Stupids? It's Tom Arnold, apparently. There you oh, go. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, I like Tom By Arnold. the way, I'm... I'm I'm sending you. I found a playlist that has uh, it looks like most of the episodes of Power Play, the Canadian oh, hockey show. Okay, thank you. I'll look into that. One thing too here, just quickly, I'm, I'm hung up on the '96 Stinkers Bad Movie Awards because the <laughs> the six the six films that I said were nominated, and then they then go on to do dishonorable mentions. Right, so you've got the iconic barbed wire. You know, Pamela Anderson, Biodome didn't even make the top six worst pictures. Other films on this list. Happy Gilmore, hello, Mars Attacks, Mission Impossible, <laughs> oh. uh, Eddie, uh, <laughs> but Ed, Matt LeBlanc plays baseball with a monkey, doesn't even make the top six worst picture movies, Twister, Independence Day, and Jack make it over Ed. Now, I remember there watching a Ed. lot of... Ugh. A lot of snobs in 1996. Can we please do Ed in Bad Movie Month? Because I remember loving that <laughs> as a kid just because I loved Joey and it was Joey with a monkey. So why wouldn't I love it? But I'm sure no, it does I, not hold up. I'm pretty sure I rented it probably around the same time I rented Brain Candy. I have no recollection of it whatsoever. Me neither. Like, this is the thing. What was the, What is the deal in the 90s of monkeys in, like, sports movies? Like, who thought this was a good <laughs> the idea? The Rene Russo one? Yeah, we talked about I know we've talked about this before. But, like, why was that a trend? I know. Mm. Matt, you're doing well in Friends. Thank you. I think we've got a movie for you. All right. It's going to break the Friends movie star curse of the 90s. What is it? It's you playing baseball. Oh, I like this. It's like Field of Dreams, a league of their own. Better. You play it with a monkey. I'm sold. Where do I sign? I'm like, I'm, he had to be forced to do that movie. Like contractually, nobody chooses to do that. When you're one of the biggest TV stars in the world at that point, no one chooses to do a movie about you got, a monkey. You got Dave Foley into doing that movie. <laughs> exactly, basically. Um, so box office-wise, I guess not hugely successful. Um, 2.6 million domestic and worldwide. Apparently wasn't released worldwide. I mean, obviously we know that domestic is basically North America. So technically yeah. Canada is worldwide, but hey, Mr. Worldwide. Um, it's opening weekend. It opened at 13th. It opened the same weekend as James and the Giant Peach. Uh, so it made a meager 
what did it make? $770,000 on its opening weekend, where James and the Giant Peach made $7.5 million. So good for that. Also at the cinema that weekend, oh. let's, let's see what we would have gone to see at the cinema that weekend. Primal Fear, the number one movie that week. Uh, the Birdcage, good movie. I like The Birdcage. Fear, don't know what that one is. Sergeant Bilko, I used to love that one as a kid. Um, Fargo was open at that time. Braveheart in week number 47. And Toy Story in week number 21 was still going at that point. So, uh, yeah, not the most yeah. loaded weekend that we've ever seen. Like, this movie got a lot of promotion here in Canada. And I think that um, I didn't even realize how little it was promoted in the States, I think, until the movie came out. And, you know, you, you hear about the next morning or the Monday morning, the box office. I'm like, oh, I thought Brain Candy was going to make more money. And they're talking about how much a bomb. But when you look at the amount of theaters, they opened in 163 theaters. Now, they invested millions of dollars into this movie. And Canada alone, this definitely got a wide release. Because I remember looking at like the showtimes and then seeing, oh, no, it's R-rated. I can't see it. And it was playing multiple theaters here in Winnipeg. So a wide release in Canada was probably 100 theaters. That means this movie that Paramount, the American Studio Finance, opened it in fewer theaters in the United States than they did in Canada, which really does... I think probably proved the theory that they, you know, through whether it was a cancer boy scene or whatever, just did nothing to promote this movie. Uh, but tons of promotion here. And I really have to think that like the R rating did hurt it in Canada as well. Um, Cause the kids in the hall, every time they've done, when they had that death comes to town TV series and when they had the new one, like it's always a big deal here. And every time somebody on the kids in the hall does something, it's always a big deal here, but really it didn't even necessarily make that much money in Canada. Well, it's, it would be a similar thing, I think, to when if we did Kath and Kim Dorella, because I know the Kath and Kim film didn't really blow people's minds in terms of box office either. And the, the show was obviously huge here. And I think that from memory that had a bit of a break, though. I think it was maybe a five, six year gap between when the show ended to when they did it. And again, it wasn't the greatest film, but then at the same time, people thought it was going to be this massive box office hit and it didn't really do as well as they maybe thought it would do. So maybe sometimes you just have that with a popular TV IP and they just kind of can't translate it. But I'm seeing here, uh, averaged... Uh, 4725 per cinema, whereas James and Giant Peach, $3,332 a cinema. So wow. kids better per screen average. <laughs> exactly. It was actually that weekend, it was the third highest average because you had Jane Eyre opened to only 269000 but it only opened at 35 cinemas, so an average of 7712 And then a film called Loaded, the Ricky Martin song, uh, made $12,000 on its opening weekend to only two cinemas. So $6,000 a cinema. Um, I guess uh, for reviews, you'd, would you go for the bad or the good for this one? This is kind of a middle well, one. Yeah, this is middle. I mean, fan reviews, I was kind of surprised looking on IMDb that this has like a 6.9. But here's the tricky thing. Despite the fact there are like, what, 69, 70 reviews on IMDb, there are only two one-star yeah. reviews on all of IMDb. Uh, Sub-amateurish, non-talented, and puerile. And the other headline is awful. Nothing like the great TV shows for the... And these were like 1999 was that review, and the other one was in a 2007. So the, I, I like. Did you read the end of the, the end of this sub amateurish one? I I didn't. I was just going to read the little short one here. I thought this movie. Was <laughs> oh, I, awful. I just want to. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Well, mine's mine's going to be better than yours. So you go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they always say to me. I thought this movie was awful. One of the worst I've ever seen. I was a huge fan of the TV show, and this stunk in comparison. A real disappointment. As was that review, Brent Twenty Two. This one's actually quite clever. The other, the only other one-star review, Aristides 2. It ends with, maybe there is a god after all because some force has intervened and determined that they will never make another movie. And so thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Muhammad. Thank you, Vishnu. Thank you, Buddha. <laughs> and thank you, Brandon Fraser. Um, <laughs> how many 10-star ten, ten reviews are there? 
there are 19. 10 star. Okay, cool. Uh, plot keywords. Um, male masturbation month. There we go. Uh, easy one for this one. We've been waiting for that. Uh, starting off with the whale. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he does start that movie Brendan, off. By Brendan has a genre. <laughs> the Blue Lagoon. There's masturbation in that. Uh, Forrest Gump. I mean, that's stretching it. Jenny touches his doodle. Um, yeah, so, he doesn't masturbate. Yeah, even Colin knows that that's not masturbation. Yeah. <laughs> and Science of the Lambs, yeah, there's that scene when he's in the hall and he's like, yeah, the gross bit. Um, American Beauty number five, though. Is there masturbation in American Beauty? Yeah, I guess there is. Yeah, he's jerking off in bed when uh, Annette Benning's like, what are you doing? Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> how does Ben know all the masturbation scenes in movies? <laughs> Ben automatically remembers every single Ben's like, well, wait a second. When I ranked my top 100 masturbation scenes in film history, I didn't put that on there. I need to revise my list. Here's one for Colin. Sexual Awakening Month uh, <laughs> featuring Pretty Baby. A preteen girl lives in a prostitute in New Orleans in 19... 19- Sign me up. Um, <laughs> where the Crawdads Sing. What is with that movie? That oh, was that's so boring. You know what? We watched it because we had like a bunch of free rentals on Cineplex. We watched it and... I would say it like first 80% of the movie I'm like this isn't actually that bad like it's 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 kind of weirdly interesting and it's just a movie almost I wouldn't say to the same extent but almost like the the book of Henry where it gets to the ending you're like what <laughs> what uh, I just remember the trailers would come on last year before movies and they'd, and they'd be like I love it when they advertise it as based on the worldwide phenomenon and you're just yeah. like I have never heard of this before in my life yeah. what have I been missing out on and it's just some girl lives in the swamp and there's a murder. I'm like, this? And the, the trailer was like, you know, sometimes when you will see like a trailer and you're like, I will never watch that movie, but that trailer makes it look interesting. Sometimes there's like a movie where it's like, I'm going to go see that, but the trailer was really shit. This was like a movie that I'll never see with a trailer that was really shit. It was like a yeah. <laughs> freaking uh, Hallmark movie trailer. Like, based on the world. Like, anyway, good for where the crawl ads sing. Uh, number three, The Blue Lagoon. Oh, number four, Black Swan. Um, so... Gay Parent Month. Oh, what what's on it? Modern Family, Glee, Ugh. Under the Dome, <laughs> The Birdcage. <laughs> Who's the gay parent on Under the Dome? I um, I, love- I was talking about that the other day because I think I was talking to somebody about how like, oh, I'm watching Manifest and I, I just don't like to give up on things. And I'm like, the only show I ever gave up on was Under the Dome. Uh, so I'm like, why am I giving up on Manifest when I gave up on Under the Dome? Manifest slightly better than Under the Dome. Probably controversial. Uh- I actually, I just love that this list that has, okay, Modern Family, Glee, they're TV shows, but it makes sense. The Birdcage, that makes sense. Brokeback Mountain doesn't even make our month if we do Gay Dad Month because Under the Dome has bumped it. Wow. I think there was a gay, yeah, that's been a while. I know what's his face from Hank from Breaking Bad was the main star. Um, there is Dead Cat Month. I mean, we're doing Dead Duck Month. This could be the sequel. Uh, <laughs> but I don't want to see Dead Kitties. Uh, Smile, The Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel, Evil Dead, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the Daniel Craig one. Oh, Men in Drag Month. Now, if this does not have Priscilla Queen in the desert, I am done. Bohemian Watch Rhapsody, The Kids in the Hall, Kids in the Hall Brain Candy, Stealing Harvard. Seriously, Priscilla <laughs> Queen in the desert, a movie about drag queens, is not even in the top 10. It's not even in the top 20. It's not even on this list. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, where where is Mrs. Doubtfire? Where is Tootsie? Uh, I mean, okay. Yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. That should be number one. Bohemian Rhapsody. What men addresses women in that movie? Like he he dresses androgynously in that, but it's not like 
in drag. I am so confused. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to buy this movie, Colin. I, I Oh, nice. I'd watch this again. I think talking about it has also made like, yeah, I could watch that again. Like, it's just... <laughs> Silly, fun, become one of these things where I feel like I could watch it again and like it even more. I'd be tempted to watch the show. Um, but yeah, no. I definitely check out the show. I think I'd, I'd, I'd give it a buy. Absolutely. But I would say I would rank it just below Tomorrow When the War Began. There is at least one sketch that I have to send you from uh, an early episode of Kids in the Hall, which is basically probably the thing that won me over on watching the show because it is the most bizarre thing you've ever seen, but it's so funny. Uh, Jamie kind of watches a little bit of kids in the hall when I do not nearly as much as me. I asked her like, would you buy rent this or binish? She goes, ah, probably rent. I think as, as a huge kids in the hall fan to me, this is the content of everything they've done. That is the renter, but I still really enjoy it. And having seen this, what, when I was a teenager and then not again for years, I, I appreciate this more now because I think I understand it more now. <laughs> I don't think I understood all of the, 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 you know, more X rated jokes and everything. Not even, I don't, I don't even understand it all now. But I understand it more now, and I think I appreciate it more now. So, yeah, I would definitely buy this. I mean, it is not the the greatest comedy you'll ever see, but it's something unique and it's something very distinctly Canadian, and it is still the kids in the hall. So, I, yeah, I kind of – ranking it would yeah. be tough because I, I, I feel like, again, as a kids in the hall fan, I'm probably more likely to watch this, but there's still something about tomorrow when the day after tomorrow started that uh, <laughs> it, 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 it just – it has me, it has me hooked enough where I'm like, ah, I want to see more of that. So I, it's going to be, it's very even between these. I can already say there's at least one movie to come, which is going to rank higher on the list for me. Uh, Australia. Um, sure. <laughs> exactly. But for the time being, I'm kind of putting brain candy and tomorrow, the day after tomorrow stood <laughs> the test of time. Those are tied for my number one. I'll put oh, a tie. We, we equal. I don't think we've ever had a t- tiebreaker. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been very like, it's sort of, I mean, I downloaded a few of the songs from it and um, been listening to those. And I'm like, I really kind of want to read the books. So I think I'm going to put it on my list to eventually get the Tomorrow series and actually read them, read them all. So uh, there you go. Uh, next week. Oh, boy. Uh, remember, what was it? 2017 when Colin and I sat down to talk about a movie epic that went for nearly three hours. A love story set across the backdrop of a historical moment in time. That went down as a classic that celebrated 25 years this year and everybody's talking about it. About 11 years after that, Baz Luhrmann decided to do the same thing. He took a historic moment in the history of our country, the only time our country was bombed during World War II, and decided to get the two most attractive Australians ever (laughs) to do it after Russell Crowe had to pull out because Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman and Australia. Now, look... I loved this when I saw it, but similar to you, I saw it once. Like I actually have never rewatched Australia after I saw it. I never saw it in the movies. I don't know why. I think I like, I will tell this more next week, but I'm pretty sure it was one of our video stores was closing down. So you went there and it was like, oh, you can get like 10 DVDs for 40 bucks or something like that. And there were just random ones left because we went there on like last day. So I'm like, oh, Australia. I was with Louise at the time. I was like, oh, Australia, let's get that. And we watched it. And like straight away, I was like, oh, I kind of like this. Don't know if I've ever seen a movie promoted like this before because uh, they also tied this heavily into a tourism campaign for Australia which makes sense and I don't know if there's ever been a movie like are there movies out there just called Canada America <laughs> Spain like I mean it's such an odd movie that they just called this Australia um, big deal in this country but for the most part I think most people left it thinking it was a bit of a flop because it didn't live up to the hype because they were selling this almost like the new Titanic mm-hmm. so 
I'm intrigued to talk about it. I could maybe not like it. I, as I said, I loved it when I watched it like 15 years ago. I might not like it now. And it could be the opposite for you. But uh, I'm intrigued to talk about it because there's obviously a lot of big name connections to our country with this. Oprah, everyone behind it. Um, uh, Oprah's from your country? She is. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, this is one that I sort of... I've, I've always wanted to do every year, but it always gets bumped. And it nearly got bumped this year as well because we were going to do like Mad Max or something like that. But no, I think, fuck it, we're doing Australia. So welcome to Australia next week, Colin. Yeah, th- I mean, this is kind of like you said, it, it might be a movie that I completely changed my opinion on. Like I've seen it the one time. I remember being very excited for it because it got a lot of promotion. I mean, I'm probably not nearly as much as it got over there, but it got a lot of promotion here. And, you know, Baz Luhrmann, obviously, you know, he, huge deal. And his movies are always very unique. And who doesn't love Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman? But when I saw it, I was just sort of like, you yeah, know, that kind of sucked. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and I could, I could never really put my finger on it. But there is there's the one like the one sequence. I think it's like a cattle drive sequence, like oh, a yeah. big, massive sequence that I was like, wow, I wish the rest of the movie was like this. Um, I, I forgot that it was Russell Crowe who was supposed to be in this movie because I think that uh, Hugh Jackman was like, well, Hugh Jackman is the the <laughs> the backup choice. But now you look at it, you're like, well, could you imagine it being Russell yeah, Crowe? Probably I'm, not. I'm glad. Like, as much as I love Russell Crowe, I think they got the right one because I think, like, mm-hmm. I mean, Russell Crowe, I mean, the sex, like, this is a like a love movie, right? This is like you need mm-hmm. your Kate Winslet, Leonardo. You need those, like, hot people. No disrespect to Russell Crowe, but, like, I mean, Hugh Jackman was is much yeah. more of a sex symbol well, man than Russell. Russell Crowe's a man. Don't get I'll, me wrong, but like <laughs> you know, Russell Crowe's going to keep my ass now that I've said this out loud. I'm sure I'll definitely have some comments from Jamie next week because I mean, next to Henry Cavill and Keanu Reeves, Hugh Jackman's her guy. So if I tell her you want to watch Hugh Jackman for two hours and forty five minutes is like a, I don't know, what would you call him? Like a outbacky uh, uh, farmer, Drover, what do you call him in this country? Yeah, but like, yeah. And outside of like though, I mean David Wenham, Brian Brown, Jack Thompson, some big names in this as well. Essie Davis, Tasmanian Zones. I've interviewed her. Um, yeah, some some big names in it. And I think that Ben Mendelsohn. Wow. Yeah, there's, I think it's just one of these ones that we're like, there's lots around it that we'll we'll talk about. And I, the controversy in Tasmania too, because when they promoted this movie and they they did like the famous like the word Australia with the map, they always cut Tasmania off the map. So like it got fucking. <laughs> Bad press in Tasmania because it's like you cut us off the map as we often do. So I think they literally, and I have to find it because I know every like couple of years, they, there's a, it's always a big deal about they'll do the big tourism campaign to come to Australia. That's how Paul Hogan got famous, right? Like they did the whole throw another shrimp on the Barbie, the big Australia boom of the 80s. So they tied it in with this film and I think they released a Tasmania version and I think they were basically like the Tasmanian government were like, we're so pissed off with this. We're just going to like parody the film Australia and then make it like Tasmania. Like it was, I, I, I need to find it. But anyway, I'm looking forward to talking about it next week. Um, so tune in for that. In the meantime, 24 season four is wrapping up this week. Uh, well, I guess next week, technically uh, this week, you of course would have heard the finale next week. You'll hear the recap of the entire season of season four. So stay tuned to that. Uh, possible reviews we're always saying it but uh, yeah maybe air I saw air did you you check that out we'll do a review for sure I'm seeing air right now it's all around me <laughs> um, I, I might uh, I, I also kind of do still want to see Tetris because that looks pretty good oh yeah um, so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see how we go and uh, off the podium all those other shows they're great so uh, stay tuned for that uh, my name is Ben and show some respect you homeless piece of shit 
And my name is Colin, and so I hear Noah's dead. Hey, is that eggnog? Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah! If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon! That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.